Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're here. Nick is back. We're back. We had no Nick November and then doesn't want <laughs> Nick December because that podcast episode took a little bit longer to get out. But we hope you enjoyed our discussion on Silk Sonic, Forza, and Taylor Swift. That was a nice little break for Nick, I'm sure. Yeah, although I would have liked to talk about Silk Sonic and Forza. Forza so if we have some time, we might get into that a little bit later. Uh, you didn't mention the name of the show. It's Nicky Manny's Infinite Podcast, but this is a special episode. What's the episode, Manny? This episode is called Nick and Manny's Halo Infinite Podcast. Yeah, because baby. Today, baby, Halo. It's been out since Wednesday. We finished the game. We're all three recording of us. this on that Saturday. Yes, all three of us. We have a special guest with us here who we'll introduce in a moment. All three of us finished the Halo Infinite campaign. We haven't done all the side activities. We haven't, you know, 100% of it, but we did finish the storyline. We've played the multiplayer extensively. When I looked uh, before the campaign played out, played, well, wow. When I looked before <laughs> the campaign came out, it said that I had played over like 24 hours already. Mm -hmm. So um, I think we have a good enough basis to talk about, you know, our thoughts on the Halo Infinite package yep. as it stands at launch right now. Mm -hmm. But we did mention we have a guest with us. We have um, one of our friends who is actually Dutch, Netherlands, Dutch, 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 uh, our friend Ramon Koch. Um, he's here with us to talk about Halo. Um, we know him through, you know, other Discord channels that we're in, but He's a photographer. He takes a lot of cool photos and stuff. So, Ramon, is there anything that you would like to say about yourself to the people to get to let them get to know you? Uh, yeah, I'm Ramon. I'm from the Netherlands. Uh, photography is a hobby that got way out of hand. <laughs> with way too many camera gear that I bought. And um, yeah, mainly airplanes because I live right next to the main airport here. And other than that, a lot of ships. And you love Halo. That's about yeah, all I, I know Halo. about you is that you love airplanes Halo, and you love Halo. No, Halo and Forza. Oh, so, and Forza, that's right. Yeah. yeah, Ramon has played a lot of Forza. Uh, it's funny because he sent a message the other day and he was like, I found every road but one and now I'm struggling to find <laughs> it. And then he played a race and he found it. So yeah. Ramon yeah. has played a lot of Forza mm -hmm. and not just five, all the other ones as well. Yeah. But it's been a while. So Nick, it's been, I think, like a month and a half. What have you been watching in that time? Yeah, it's been a month and a half since we actually recorded last. I think I looked and the last episode that we did together got uploaded on like November 12th. And that was like, it took me a couple weeks to edit just because of everything that was going on. So it's been a long time since we actually did this. Uh, let me pull up the letterbox. I'm not going to go into every single thing that I've watched in the last month and a half because that would be uh, daunting and it would take the entire length of the episode. Uh, we might have another four hour episode if I did that. So let's see what I've been doing in the last couple weeks. Um... Where should I start? Let's you could start see. with uh, re-watching the Matrix films in honor of uh, Resurrections. I could say that. Well, I didn't re-watch them. I had only seen the first one, and I'd only seen it once uh, about like five years ago, I want to say. So last weekend, I think last week and last weekend, uh, I watched all three of them, and I love the first one, and I really like the second one, and I do think the third one's pretty good overall, too. And I'm incredibly hyped for Resurrections now. For the last... Like several months, Licorice Peach has been the movie I've been looking forward to most. But as, as of this point, it might actually be Matrix Resurrections, which I've got tickets to see on the 22nd, which I'm very, very hyped for. Uh, yeah, they're just it's again, it's refreshing to see movies that actually just look like movies and they have ambition and they look great. And 
I think this is a per it's a perfect kind of role for Keanu Reeves to thrive in, and Lawrence Fishburne and Carrie Ann Moss are excellent in their roles as well. Um, I just I just love the whole vibe of those movies. And before Resurrections comes out, I got a couple weeks still. I'm gonna try and watch at least a few other entries in their in the uh, Wachowski's filmography before that point. Uh, but yeah, I've I love going through the finally going through the Matrix films. I've been waiting all year to watch them until right before the new one came out. So it was uh, pretty gratifying to finally get to do that. Uh, what what's your take on the Matrix, Manny? I don't think I've actually talked about Matrix with you. You ready for this? You haven't seen them. Correct. I have, I think, all three of them here, but I haven't seen them. Um, I know, I you know, I know the basics. I'm probably gonna rewatch them, you know, right after we record this today. So I'll go, fi I'll go watch them. But you know, from what I've seen, I like them, and I like just the idea of the Matrix in general. Yeah, um, I have heard, you know, that it goes downhill, but from what I hear, the filmmaking in it is, you know, really good in general even if the story isn't always there. But, you know, there's things like the highway chase that mm -hmm. they built an entire highway for, what they did with the, the bullet time effects and all the cameras and stuff that they set up. So they were definitely revolutionary <laughs> for their time. <laughs> um, I've seen, like, some of the CG, and some of it has not aged very well. It's but not that's all. just, it's, it's CG. Yeah, it's, it's early 2000s. Early 2000s CG is fun to look back at because they had enough of a grip on it like the 90s was some especially bad cg after jurassic park because everyone was just trying to capitalize on it and it wasn't ready yet the 2000s cg looked better but like early 2000s especially it still wasn't quite there and there's moments especially in the third movie where the cgi is clearly not quite there but all in all i think they still look great for the most part um the, the points where they have those effects are fairly few and far between they're sort of isolated into specific specific sequences that overuse them it's not like the entire movie is rife with uh like overuse cgi like the hobbit movies or the star wars prequels so for the most part they still look great and there's a lot that they accomplish in camera which i appreciate um yeah i would say just in terms of how good each movie is they do technically go downhill but i still really like the second one in particular and the third one has a lot of issues and i think it's ultimately a little unsatisfying but all in all i still think it's good especially the ending sequence of that movie is fantastic there you go yeah so what two weeks uh yeah 22nd so as of recording it's 11 days away so yeah, it's 11 be, days away yeah so i'm hyped for that and i'm also uh uh, go, switching to video games for just a second because it's relevant to the Matrix. We had that tech demo, what's it called? The Matrix Awakens that dropped a couple nights yep, ago. For Unreal um, Engine 5. Yep, I'm currently installing that on my Series X. I probably have to Oh install. yeah, that's right, you have a Series that's X. That's right, baby. Um, I had to pause it to record this, but I'll probably finish installing it overnight and check it out tomorrow. I've heard it's only like 5-10 to 10 minutes of actual content. Uh, then you can just kind of explore and take photos the rest of the time. Uh, however much you want, but I still want to see how it really looks because to this point we still have um we still have what's it called cross gen i guess where they're making games for the xbox one and the ps4 still so i think some games are having to be held back a little bit to make sure that they can run on the older consoles and i i still think that accessibility is a good thing but i also am very much eager to see what happens when we finally just fully step forward into the next generation and this tech demo from whatever it seems like the first true demonstration of what that can be so i'm looking forward to that even if it's only going to be a 10-minute experience that i install immediately i am eager to also hop into the next generation but at the same time i'm like i'm still on an old xbox and ps4 and i can't you know like afford the upgrade right now so it's like i'm very excited because like again switching into video games for just a quick second um, I don't know if you've seen Forspoken, 
but it's uh it's an epic game that is supposed to be the first entire game built in unreal engine 5 uh-huh. and if you know anything about me you know that i love avatar the last airbender and it looks like a medieval uh kind of like gothic version of avatar the last airbender where you're using elements like water or earth to all these other things and it looks great and that comes out next year and so i'm like ah do i do i bite the bullet or do i upgrade my computer like it's just you know and chip shortages aren't helping anything either even though i've had two opportunities to get a playstation but that's neither here neither here or there uh what else have you been watching so I've watched, other than those, I've watched a lot of new stuff the last couple of weeks. Uh, so yesterday, as of recording, I went and saw Come On, Come On, which I talked to you about a little bit. Um, I didn't like it as much as I hoped I would, but I still really enjoyed it. I think it's a great, it feels really grounded in pretty much every sense. It feels very human, and I appreciate that aspect of it, even if it never sniffs being something like a classic for me. Like, I feel like I've already forgotten a lot of it, even though I just saw it yesterday, which is kind of unfortunate, but I like Joaquin Phoenix in this role a lot. Like, I feel like this is something that plays to his strengths more than something like Joker did, which is unfortunate because that's what he got all the awards buzz for. Um, but I love I love him in this role, and I think the movie just feels very human in a good way. So I'd recommend that if you can go see it. It's a fairly limited release. It only just came here near me like a week ago, I think. And I was lucky to be able to actually see it uh, just because of how my work schedule went yesterday. Uh, so I'd recommend that. Uh, other new stuff I saw a couple weeks ago, I saw King Richard, which it was surprisingly good, I thought. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Um, it looked like a better than average sports biopic from the trailer and i was actually surprised at how much i liked it i thought it was even better than that i thought it was really solid i think will smith will probably get best actor for it and if and when he does i don't think i'll be mad about it because he's really good and i was worried about the stance the movie would take on his character because on the surface it seems a bit exploitative the the way he the way he treated his daughters and was basically residing over their entire careers even to this day i think he's still um, involved with them in some capacity and professional level. Uh, but I ultimately like the way the movie handles all of that. And it's just really solid all around. Yeah. I haven't gotten a chance to see it, but that's because like, there's a lot of movies that I haven't seen yet because I'm waiting to watch them with my parents. Yeah. So King Richard is one of them. Encanto is the other one that I'm waiting for. Um, so there's a couple of them that I just haven't seen yet. Cause I'm waiting to watch with family. Cause you know, we do that around the holidays is, you know, yeah. Thanksgiving would have been the day where we would have gone to the... Th- oh, wait, we did. We went and saw House of Gucci. Yeah, you saw House of Gucci. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, which is, which was that. another move, new movie I saw. I saw that, I think... I got an early screening of that, like, the week before it came out because it was an AMC investor screening, and I was able to just check a box on the AMC app and say that I was a stockholder, and so that's what got me into the theater to see it. Uh, so that, that was a little funny story, and we can talk about House of Gucci a little bit if you want because that's something we both actually saw. I thought it was pretty decent, and that was another one that I didn't love like I wanted to, but I don't I don't think I necessarily expected that I would love it based on some of the vibes that I got from the trailers. Yeah, um, I liked it in general. Um, I, I, I was looking forward to it a lot, so I think like I was just like a little bit disappointed, but going into it, seeing the reviews and hearing like people's thoughts and stuff, I was like, oh, okay, so this is going to be a little bit wackier than what I thought it was going to be. I think it's a very interesting story, and it is, for me, a good biopic should make you interested in the story to make you want to go read more or learn more about it, yep. because most likely than not, they're not 100% true, which mm-hmm. is 100% the case with almost every biopic. They're fake in some aspect. So this was like really interesting 
I'm not like huge into fashion or anything like that, but I really liked everything that it, you know, was doing for that. Um, the one thing that everyone has been talking about is uh, Luigi. Yeah. Uh, Paolo Gucci, Paolo played Gucci. by uh, Jared Leto, a.k.a. Morbius, a.k.a. the dude from American Psycho that gets his uh, head chopped off by mm-hmm. uh, Patrick Bateman. I'm assuming that's his name. I forgot yeah. his name. I was about to call him Andrew Bateman. I'm like, you were no, correct that's about Patrick someone else. <laughs> yeah, Pat- Patrick Bateman. I forgot the actor's name, too. Christian Bale. Christian that's- Bale. Yeah. Uh, you forgot oh. to mention his iconic turn as the Joker in Suicide Squad. Oh, right. He was the Joker. See, I was thinking, like, was he Joker? Yeah. And yep. he was. Yeah. <laughs> he, was in, um, he was in the Snyder Cut, too, for that wacky-ass epilogue they did. Oh, yeah. They did an epilogue for the Snyder Cut. Which, sure did. which Okay. Anyways, Snyder Cut. We can get if into that another time. Go watch it. Well, we're not going to get into it ever. But, yeah. Paolo Gucci, played by Jared Leto, is one of the most bizarre things that I've seen. But at the same time, I kind of love it. Uh... I don't think I love it. It's not that, like, I thought he was, I mean, I thought he was bad, but it almost feels like, I feel like he was sort of directed to be that. But I think that's an overall issue with what the movie is, because to me, he doesn't fit with what the rest of the movie is. Even though everyone else is doing varying levels of silly Italian accents, Lady Gaga almost sounds kind of Russian, I think. Uh, But, like, everyone's doing a silly accent. Adam Driver is, Al Pacino's doing, like, the bare minimum of one, but he's still kind of doing one. Everyone else is doing their silly accent, but he goes so over the top with everything. He's in a fat suit. He's got a he's got a bald cap on. He's got a fake mustache, all this stuff. Like they went so far camp with him that I feel like even though the rest of the movie is silly in some in some aspects, it feels like he's in another movie. And like everyone in the theater was laughing at everything he said. And it's not that not that I thought it was all unfunny, but to me, it felt like that aspect of the character didn't mesh with what the rest of the movie was trying to be because i think the rest of the movie was was unintentionally funny if it was funny and i feel like he was sort of clashing with that i 100 percent agree with everything that you're saying like i don't think that he fit in this movie at all i think he was just not well i don't i think like just the character the way it was written the way it was directed and stuff completely different movie that said it's like when you have that guest star that has nothing to contribute to the actual story and they're just in a completely different place, uh, but you like them. And that's how I felt about just Paolo. I don't like Jared Leto. No, I don't um, either. Bad vibes. Bad, bad vibes all around. Yeah, I mean, he has his own cult, so that, yeah. that says that. <laughs> but, um, but, like, I don't think, like, he was, I guess, good in the movie, but I was just interested to see what he was going to do next all the time. Yeah, it's it's just a fascinating case where it's like you sort of can't look away, but you also have no idea whether you whether that's for a good or bad reason that you can't look away. You don't know if it's captivating or if it's a car crash. All you know is you can't look away from him. Yeah, that's pretty much how I felt about that. And I, I mean, I wouldn't say like that's how I feel about the movie in general, because I did like a lot of it also because I just love Italy. So seeing them shoot in Italy was really nice. But yeah, I thought it was fine. I, w- I guess I'm disappointed by it. There's other yeah. films that I've liked more, but there's definitely films that I've liked less this year. I think it's perfectly fine. I don't know if I'd watch it again. Um, yeah, I, don't, I think maybe, one time was enough. Yeah, yeah, maybe I have no, no desire to see it anytime soon, I don't think. I might go back to it, but I don't think a reappraisal will make me feel much different either direction on this one. I think it'll just kind of settle in at the 3.5 that I gave it. Yeah, but The Last Duel, on the other hand, oh, those yeah. damn millennials. Anyways... <laughs> That movie was great. I give him a pass because that movie was great. 
But the Ridley Scott role meant that the next movie he made after The Last Duel would not be so good, which was factual, even though the movie was still okay. Yes, this is by no means Ridley Scott's worst movie. No, there no. have been way worse films. This is yeah. just, you know, it's okay. It's fine. It's perfectly serviceable. It's not going to be, you know, the worst thing that he's done, but it's no. clearly not the best thing either. I think it's perfectly fine given his track history. The last 10 years or so has been very shoddy. Yeah. I think this is one of the better lesser films, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like a solid, it's like a solid medium tier in, in, in his filmography. Like, yeah. you, I don't think anyone will point to it as some of his best work, but it's so much better than his worst stuff. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, so one more thing I wanted to mention, just because I think the last time we recorded, we talked about this movie a little bit. Uh, a movie that you thought from the trailer looked really damn pretentious was Belfast that I went and saw a couple weeks ago. And after seeing it, I can say I'm pretty sure even you won't find that movie pretentious, even though it's in black and white. I was... I really dug it, and I was surprised at how much heart was in the movie from start to finish. What I didn't know, I don't know if you knew this beforehand, but I didn't know that the movie was basically Kenneth Branagh's life story that he was writing. It's all about where he grew up. It's all about him as a kid and his own experiences growing up in Ireland at, at that time where there was unrest happening, and all about moving, like, getting ready for his family to move to England away from all the unrest. And I didn't know that that was his story until after the movie, and that made me like it even more when I realized that, because I could feel the heart in this movie from start to finish, and I think that that set it apart for me. I think that's what made it not feel pretentious on the surface was that I could feel his own deep investment into what, what he was portraying on screen. There you go, folks. If you want to see Belfast, <laughs> you have Nick's endorsement. Whatever that means to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, endorsement is good, in my opinion. Unless you're like Armand White, which... Armand I don't even White. know who that is. Oh, you don't know about Armand White? I don't think so. Oh my god, I'll tell you I'll tell you after the podcast. Okay. <laughs> uh, basically Armand White is this guy who likes every bad movie and hates every good movie. Ah, okay, he's one of those people. Yeah. He he must have been but, the but, culprit behind the one negative review of Toy Story 3 on Rotten Tomatoes. It must have been him. Uh he's the one behind the one negative review on Paddington too. Come on, oh, guys. That, that film Okay, yeah, that I film remember was that. 100%. And then because because Citizen Kane lost its spot. They were like, no, now Paddington 2 doesn't get to be number one. We're going to screw Paddington 2 out of its rightful number one spot. I know. It's so bad. Anyways, Paddington 3, it's happening, folks. Oh, really? Uh, go watch it. It's still, Yeah, I'm pretty sure they've already said Paddington oh, 3 is happening. Awesome. I didn't know um, that. Paddington, delightful film series. They're, they're great. They're probably showing on Freeform right now because it's the 25 days of Christmas films or whatever <laughs> that they show on Freeform every year. Um Okay, one yeah. more one more thing I wanted to mention. One more movie. Uh, I don't ahead. even don't even have to go into detail on it, but uh, it's on Hulu now. So I will mention that I watched Pig a few weeks ago with Nicolas oink, Cage. Oink. <laughs> oink oink, and it's one of my favorite movies of the year. I think it's a great performance by him. It's really small and intimate. It's not necessarily what the trailers portrayed as being. I don't think it's like a John Wick type movie at all, which is what some of the vibe that I got from the trailers. But I think if, if you have Hulu or whatever its equivalent is overseas and it's available, I would strongly recommend watching Pigs. It's, I think, I think it's one of the best movies of the year. One more endorsement for me. That's it. Yeah, that's another one that I've been waiting to see. So it's a tight will, 90. It's a tight 90. Nick loves them tight 90s. Ramon, have you seen anything that you want to talk about in the last, you know, couple weeks? Uh, Hawkeye, maybe. Yeah, baby. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, and other than that, not too much, actually. The movie theaters are here kind of closed because of a new lockdown, so Oof. I can't go to a lot of places. 
Yeah, this country said fuck lockdown after about a month, and we've never gone yeah. back. Which, <laughs> by the way, if you are, you know, experiencing lockdown, we are sorry for that. Um, if you're not, please make sure you're taking proper safety precautions. Wear your mask again if it's advised by your country or, you know, by your state, wherever you guys are living. Hand sanitizer. Um, if you feel that you need social distance, please do that as well. It's only going to get better if we try to take the proper actions. So new variant, please be aware of that. It's coming. So yeah. that's all I'm going to say about that is to be safe. We want you guys to stay safe and we want to have the experiences that, you know, we want to have in the real world with people, real life interactions or going to the movie theater and all that stuff gets hindered when people don't play their part. We're going to Vegas in June. You guys are going to Vegas in June. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going. Yeah, sorry. I guess I'm the only person here that's actually going to WangerCon. <laughs> yeah, me and Ramon will have a great time just playing Forza or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, one more thing I mentioned that I watched that we can talk about, I guess, fairly extensively. I watched it last week. I finally watched the second season of Ted Lasso. Yeah. Love Ted Lasso. Oh, that's your impression of the opening thing. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's the that that's uh that's Mumford doing doing the uh, opening of Ted Lasso. He just screams yeah. I was driving back home yesterday from school uh-huh. and that song came on and I was like half asleep and I heard him <laughs> scream right yeah now. and I woke up. Well, I've done that. I've done that before. Like if I'm up at like five five o'clock and have a long drive to wherever I need to go for work, I will make sure that I'm playing music so I can sing along to it because that's the only way I'm gonna stay awake behind the wheel. Yeah. So Nick, you saw Ted Lasso. What did I you did. think? Season two. I liked it quite a bit overall, more than I expected to, because I had heard basically the general the general place that the season went uh, just out of context, like people in our discord talking about it as it was happening. And I didn't really care. So I looked I, I looked past the spoiler tags and saw what was going on. I'm like, eh, I don't really like this, but I think in execution, all that stuff works better for the most part. There's one subplot that I didn't particularly care for, um, but overall, I liked where the season went. I liked that it got more serious in parts fairly meaningful discussion on mental health in certain aspects um even though even if i don't think it's all 100 percent totally effective i think it's still really solid for the most part i think i might have liked the first season more just because it's a little bit shorter and it's more focused on the actual i feel like uh, one one grab i had with this season is that it feels like everything that's happening with the team is like a distant second or third place in priority of what the show is talking about which i would have enjoyed a bit more focus on that stuff but all in all i think it's a really solid season no, I agree with all those points. I, I I was raving about it because I liked the season. Um, I wasn't one of those people that was like, Ted Lasso is bad now. I No, Ted Lasso is still good. Um, it's definitely, I, it's longer, so there's more focus on a lot of other things. Like you were saying, the team isn't the primary focus like it was in the first season. Yeah. Um, but I did like its exploration of pretty much every character. I liked the Roy and Keeley situation. I liked seeing Jamie's redemption arc and him trying to be a better person mm-hmm. and there's that scene uh midway through the season i guess yeah, we we're, we're gonna go spoilers. into spoilers it's been yeah. yeah spoilers for ted lasso it's been two or three months now um the scene where jamie's dad comes to the game and mm-hmm. they lose and jamie's dad is like being really abusive to him so beard kicks him out and then roy just comes up to jamie and he's giving him this death stare but he just embraces him for a hug yeah and like you really felt that like they're both at this place now where they both understand the other person Mm -hmm. and can just put aside any of the disagreements and stuff that they've had and be there for each other and i'm like oh that's really good it's a really good scene 
yeah no i love i love that scene that episode in particular because they that episode has such a build-up that you feel like it's going to be a triumphant moment and then they just get totally destroyed and that's a good place to leave all the characters at because the aftermath of that episode is pretty much every single character in the show at their lowest point and the rest of the season is them working through that and i think all that stuff works really well for the most part yeah and that's also when we get the first like opening about ted and his father and uh-huh. sort of what happened there and that's when he finally stort like he storts, uh, storts. That's, when he st- <laughs> uh, that's when he starts to, like open up to the therapist and say like hey this is what happened in my life. I know that I'm, you know, a bitter person at times. I know that I have these relationships with therapy and this stuff, but this is why. And so I really liked going from that point on, especially the relationship with Ted, and I believe Sharon was her name, but the relationship between the two of them and how that grew and sort of how she opens up to him about she might be a therapist and, you know, listening to other people's problems, but here are the problems that she goes through herself. Yeah. And the way that they end the season with the two characters, I really liked that. I'm curious if the subplot that you didn't like was the one between Sam and Rebecca. Yeah. I it, feel like it just, that's the one that a lot of people didn't like. Yeah. It's not, not it's not just the age gap thing. That just feels a little weird, but it's like, I don't know, it just feels kind of contrived, the whole thing. I, I don't like I don't even I don't even have strong like strong feelings about it either way. It's just like yeah, I could do without this. Yeah, it was set up in season one a little bit. Um, I don't even but, remember yeah. him in season one hardly at all. Yeah, he wasn't in a lot of season one. Oh, but Sam, he was a great character that got to be fleshed out. I really yeah. liked what they did with his character and sort of what it means to represent uh, a team, but also a country and sort of that whole aspect of it as well. Um, I didn't realize that you saw Promising Young Woman, right? Yeah. Did you realize that the prince um, was in Promising Young Woman? Yeah, Sam Richardson. I also, he yeah. was in a movie from this year called Werewolves Within that I saw over the summer uh, during Tribeca. And mm-hmm. I liked him a lot in that. I think he's in I Think You Should Leave, too. He's like one of the recurring cast members on that. He might be I Think You Should Leave. He was, in, he was in New Girl, which when I looked at the cast list, I'm like, oh, it's Officer Dunson or something like that <laughs> from New Girl. Yeah. Um, Speaking of what, like, New Girl. I love New Girl. Um, I've been That's watching Manny's clips of it on New Girl. New Girl's good. It leaves Netflix in January, so it's sad. And no, I saw them. T- I actually saw a tweet that they said they were no longer going to remove it in January. Ah, oh, thank They God. said they were going to keep it indefinitely. New Girl is one of those shows that I've seen a lot of times that I should, when I could have been watching other things, like mm-hmm. Teen Wolf, but I'll get into that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ted Lasso oh. Season 2. I think it's, I think it's good um that's one of the reasons why i am leeching off of my friend to use her apple plus apple tv plus i'll probably start sending her like a yearly payment of just being like hey here's money so that (laughs) you know we don't you don't have to pay it all yourself because i'm using it for that and also uh dickinson but and you know other movies that they have on there but i like ted last season too and it seems like you did too yeah for the most part um there was one thing i was going to mention overriding feeling i had watching pretty much every episode is I feel like for better or worse, most of the stuff that happened in each episode, because each episode, like, there's overarching stuff between the characters that doesn't get resolved, but, like, the actual plot of each episode feels like it's resolved by the end of the episode. It's episodic in that nature, and I feel like some of that stuff really needed more room to breathe. Like, the one in particular, the subplot in particular I'm thinking of was the first one with Sam where he's got the ethical dilemma of where he's learning that the the parent company that owns the team, or, or whatever it is, I don't remember the exact uh, circumstances, is like destroying the environment of their country and he doesn't want to represent them so he's got an ethical dilemma 
and he tells the steam, the uh, Rebecca and the team to take him off the endorsement. And uh, so the owner of the parent company says they need to cut him. And basically, they just say no and tell the the owner to go fuck himself. And then that's just that's it. And that's how it resolves. And there's nothing really beyond that other than like you hear some lip service from his dad later later on the season about how he's such a positive represent representation of his country now but i feel like something like that especially something as media as that that happens in the real sports world all the time needed more discussion and more time to breathe but it feels like it got resolved way too easily for how big of an issue that could potentially be and there's stuff like that in pretty much every episode where some stuff just feels like they don't they don't give it enough time to breathe and then they just resolve it by the end of the episode and then they move on so stuff like that annoys me just because it feels like in some areas the show tries to be realistic and very human and in other areas it feels like they go for big grand gestures and don't take certain stories to their logical conclusion or at least don't give them the time they need to get there in a satisfying manner i guess i feel that yeah it's it's not like an issue with the entire season for me because i think the overall where the whole season goes as a whole is pretty good but that's something that annoyed me from episode to episode is I feel like they didn't get as much drama as they could have gotten out of some some stuff. No, yeah, I completely understand that. Those are all, you know, fair critiques. Everything has been fair so far. It's not terrible. I don't think there's other than uh, the what happens at the very beginning of the very first episode of the season. There's nothing that I was like, oh, I hate this. Understandable. All right. Um, when I got back home for Thanksgiving, me and my best friend Juan, Juan, I love you. Uh, we went and saw Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, okay. I'm not the biggest, you know, like Ghostbusters fan. I like them personally. I like them fine. I they were just never my thing. Um, this was a delightful film, in my opinion. I thought it was very low key for a lot of it. You're just spending a lot of time in this um, little town with these characters, and you're just sort of seeing what happens with them. Because I'm not a big Ghostbusters fan, I didn't feel like there was anything that was shoved right in my face to be like, hey. Here's the thing. There's a thing. But, like, in the background, you could see, like, books standing tall. So, like, par uh, like paranormal activity had been there and stuff. My main complaint was the end um, where they show a character and they do linger on that for a long time. Yeah. And I'm like, eh. But you knew they would do that. You just knew. Yeah. I knew that would happen. And there was, there's a lot of things, like, you could guess from the story pretty early on. Um, but other than that, it was perfectly fine in my opinion. I probably won't rewatch it, but I think it's the second best Ghostbusters film. For for however much that means. Yeah, for however much <laughs> that means to any of you guys. I had no desire to see it, and I probably won't see it. Um, nah, you're fine. Yeah, that trailer, uh, it's, it wasn't to the level of the Eternals trailer, but for when I was watching a lot of movies in September and October, that trailer was so overplayed that I just, any desire I might have had to see the movie just got stomped out by that trailer. It looked very generic to me, and I just got tired of hearing the same stuff over and over again. And it doesn't, it seemed like it was fairly generic for the most part, and if that works for some people, that's fine, but it didn't do anything for me by the looks of it. Yeah, sorry, I'm just locking another film that I watched. <laughs> okay, yeah, I've only seen the first Ghostbusters now, and it was like probably 10 years ago now, and I only saw it the one time, and that's it. That's my entire Ghostbusters experience. It, yeah. was it was weird how they marketed that movie in that they have, like, Jason Reitman there with his dad talking about the legacy of these movies. And it's like, you were a comedy for, with the SNL guys that, that did well enough that it got a sequel. It's it's not like, it's not this, this mythical thing on the level of Star Wars that has such a deep legacy tied to it. It's like, you're just a, you were a silly comedy where a ghost got a blowjob. 
and now you're trying to act like it's this big massive franchise 35 years later nick you know what that you know what that reminds me of what did it remind you of i want to have a video of like the two of them talking about like oh the ghostbusters legacy and then cut to you and have it be like the scooby-doo video where freddie prince is like it's about a talking dog <laughs> it's a talking dog <laughs> but then you know have I mean? it be like it's about a ghost that got a blowjob <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like that's what it was, and people people who were ten years old in the eighties or whatever loved that stuff, and that's fine. But it's not something on the level of like Star Wars is what I'm going to keep pointing to because the vibe I got from all that marketing felt like they really wanted you to think this was a Force Awakens for Ghostbusters, and I feel like you need something with a legacy like Star Wars to make that Force Awakens approach really work. This is not on the level of Star Wars in any way, shape, or form. No, not even close. Ooh. What? Hey, we 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 got official promo art for Thor Love and Thunder right now as we're oh boy. recording. Um, I bet it's a terrible looking poster. Uh you know, it has more personality than some of the other ones, but I still don't like this style of poster. And I just sent it in the group chat that we're in. We're, we could probably cut all this out, but it's just funny. I still haven't decided if I want to see that movie yet or not. I'll probably end up seeing it, but I'll eh. see it. I watch everything. everything I know you do. <laughs> I'm uh, at the point yeah. where I'm picking and choosing the Marvel stuff that I watch. Like, Which I'm, 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 I will. I'm gonna try to convince you. Anyways, uh, um, <laughs> I'm not watching. Yeah, I'm I not s- watching that show. I'm sorry. Anyways, um, yeah. So Ghostbusters, you know, it was enjoyable enough. Then we talked a little bit about Hasaguchi. Saw that I think that Thursday or Friday. Um, no wait, yeah, like that Thursday or Friday. Then. On Tuesday, I went and saw... No, this last Tuesday, I rewatched Black Widow for some reason. Okay. It was on Disney+, Plus, and I'm like, I should give this movie another try. Should and you I know? still don't like it. <laughs> I still don't like it. I don't know how people think it's better than Eternals, personally. Like, if you want to say that, like, oh, the family dynamic was more interesting, sure. But, like, it's so not what i wanted from black widow and it tries to be like yeah we're gonna talk about all these things and then they don't because it's disney and they won't talk about them seriously no um what i would have wanted from black widow was for her to get a movie before she was already dead that probably would have worked better what i wanted from black widow was a budapest movie that's (laughs) of course because that would have hawkeye in it yeah, but I mean, like, it's an important film for both of them, which we'll get into. But they do, they make references to Budapest, like, the house that she finds Yelena, her sister, in, is in Budapest. She asks, like, oh, why are there gunshots in the walls? And she's like, they're not, they're arrow holes. Or, like, they're in a subway train, <laughs> subway station, and they're like, oh, uh, she's like, oh, this is comfy. She's like, yeah, me and Barton spent three days up here waiting. And I'm like, okay, but I'd like to see that movie because it everything that i hear about it always sounds so interesting but they've never shown it and so i'm just like they probably never will they never will at this point no but it's sad because i feel like that would have been a really interesting film for both of them but if 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 they were to make that movie in like 2014 like that would have been that would have been i think people would have been interested in that but i don't think people would care anymore yeah, it's been referenced since 2012, since the first Avengers movie. Like, you have that throwaway line of them, be- of them being like, this reminds me of Budapest. It's like, you and I remember Budapest really differently. Like, No, I know. <laughs> they mentioned it that far back, and this is me armchair quarterbacking the MCU from eight years ago. But it's like, if you did that Budapest movie in, like, 2014, and then you, and then you did Ultron the next year, people would have cared about Hawkeye more before they tried to make you care about Hawkeye so much. They it really would have worked, worked better. What came out before then? It was Iron Man 3, Winter Soldier, Thor, Guardians, 
Avengers Ant-Man. They would have had to push a movie to put to put another movie there. They probably would have had to push Guardians to mm-hmm. put... Well, put Guardians after Age of Ultron and then have Hawkeye take that place. And then instead of going from uh, Avengers 2 to Ant-Man, do Avengers, Guardians, Ant-Man. Anyways, yeah. uh, it doesn't matter. Um, it really doesn't. Black Widow, I don't like it. Black Widow. Yeah, pretty much. I'm like, eh, not really that good in my opinion. I think Eternals was better. Ramon, any thoughts on Black Widow or Eternals? I know that movie theaters and lockdown has been affecting you. Uh, no, I actually, um, uh, Eternals was the last one I saw because, uh, as uh, Elena put it in the, in the Discord, I had a massive case of fear of missing out because everyone is saying, like, oh, it's either bad or it's good. And I thought it was a pretty good-looking movie, especially compared to a lot of other movies like John Chi. And uh, Black Widow, I mean, if they said it was a Red Sparrow sequel, I could have seen that as well because it doesn't really matter uh, compared to the MCU if it's really that connected or not. So any Russian spy movie could have been Black Widow. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, it just feels kind of hollow given that she's gone and it was essentially a setup film for Yelena. Which, Yelena's a great character, but it's kind of, you know, weird. It's It's a weird movie. I don't like it. I don't like the placement. <laughs> I don't like the story. I don't. Um, but then on Sunday, the big boy, the Mets, baby, the Mets. It's all about the Mets. <laughs> you and I and Herman, Herman Pavla, we went and we rewatched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. You had watched it like a week before, but then you're yeah, like, it was, yeah, I'll rewatch yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I thought it'd be fun to watch it together. That was something we haven't done a watch along for. And we haven't done a watch along together in a while anyway. And it was a lot of fun. I think I'll need to get that movie a couple years break now before I see it. Well, fuck, I'll probably watch it before the new one next year, which we'll talk about in a second, I'm sure. But yeah, I need to let this movie breathe for a while because I've seen it four times in three years now, which is a lot by my standards. I've seen it one, two, three, four, maybe like five or six times. Um, It was really funny because a friend of mine, um, I had said to her, I was like, oh, I really love this movie. I cried five times, which I did. I cried five times in the... Th- no, I cried three times in the theater just because <laughs> it's so good. Um, and I can say exactly when they were. It was What's Up Danger. It was the first Stanley cameo. And then it was at the very end when he talks about anyone can be Spider-Man. Those are the three things that I'm like, damn, this is a really good movie. Um, on top of it just being, in my opinion, the best Spider-Man movie. I know a lot of people say, but Spider-Man 2. Yeah, yeah. Who cares about Spider-Man 2? Into the Spider-Verse. I'm probably one of those, but Spider-Man 2 people. I go back and forth. Yeah, which is totally understandable. They're both masterclass films, in my opinion. I just really love Into the Spider-Verse. But I mean, like, what I do can too. you say that hasn't been said? There's, It's a great film, great animation, great story, great introduction to all the characters, great balancing of everything. It's basically perfect. Like, it's energetic from start to finish. The energy is just... Every time I feel that movie, it's paced so perfectly, and the energy is there from start to finish. There's not really a point where that movie dips in, at any real point, and that's, I think, what I take away from it. If nothing else, I just want your movie to feel energetic in whatever way that your movie can feel energetic. That's why, for the longest time, I really like J.J. Abrams' stuff, because his movies feel energetic from start to finish. And that, that got a little too too frenetic in, like, Rise of Skywalker, but otherwise, like, that's kind of what I want my movies to be, and I feel like Into the Spider-Verse is that. Just because of how visually creative it is, how inventive it is from from start to finish, it feels as energetic as I would want that movie to feel. Ramon, you were saying something before I cut you off? Uh, no, I said the great music as well in, in yeah. the Spider-Verse. I think that's, uh, that's what I wanted to say. 
in, in between your list of everything that's great about that movie. No, yeah, the score is really good. Yeah, when when we were watching it, we just kept like singing like the score or just the songs in general because I think it's a good soundtrack as well. Yeah. Um, I I put an extra T in there. I said soundtrack. 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 Um, uh, I saw a funny tweet last week that was like, "You guys don't understand how powerful Into the Spider Verse was." It made me like a Post Malone song. Oh, I need to I need to send you the photo of my Post Malone uh, painting that I have in my room. Oh um, yes, you do. That sounds incredible. Uh, it's great. A friend of mine got it for for me for Christmas a couple years ago. Oh, Thanks, I thought you Colin. painted it yourself. No, no, no. Oh no, a friend of mine got it. it. It's like a print or something like that. Okay. But he got it for me for Christmas like three or four years ago. Thank you, Colin. Um, you're probably not listening to this, but thank you. And then the last thing, baby, the big one. Another big Hawkeye. one. Hawkeye. Oh. Okay. Hawkeye. Go ahead. The show that I have been waiting for for nine years, maybe even longer, because I was introduced to Hawkeye and Superhero Squad on Cartoon Network back in 2008. Yes, that was a show. It was great. Not really. It hasn't aged well at all. But <laughs> that was my first introduction to Hawkeye. This show is pretty much everything that I wanted it to be. I think it nails a lot of the stuff from the Matt Fraction and David Aha run. Make sure you say David Aha's name because his art is just as impactful for the story as the writing is. Please, Marvel, give him credits. You're not going to watch this, but don't just give him a thank you. Put him as executive consultant or something like that with Matt Fraction. He deserves to be credited for that artwork on that run just as much as Matt Fraction does for the writing. Is he getting the Jack Kirby treatment? Yes. Marvel hates to pay their artists. And yeah. They hate to pay, like, their contributors. But that's just the comic book business in general. Um, but David Aha, Matt Fraction run, that came out in 2012. My Life is a Weapon. It ran for 22 issues. Um, I'm currently rereading it because I haven't read it in nine years. But it is just so joyful and delightful and maybe that's just my reflection of it because I wanted it to be joyful and delightful, but it's set during the Christmas time, which is one of my favorite parts of the year. It's set during the winter, which is another one of my favorite time of the year. And Christmas in New York just all, wait, did I say the same thing twice? Um, you said Christmas and set, winter time. <laughs> and, I meant Christmas and it's set in New York, which is like my, every time that I've seen New York, I know people say like, oh, it's so disgusting. Oh, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't care. I love New York. Like, that's where I've always wanted to go. And we've tried, like, I've been baited twice of saying, like, yeah, we'll go to New York this year. And then we don't go. And then, yeah, we'll go to New York this year. And then we don't go. So next year, you know, we're saying that we're going to go to New York next year. But we don't know yet. We'll see. Um, because of, you know, external factors and stuff. But maybe I'll go to New York next year, finally. Maybe. But... It's just a melting pot of everything I love. I think finally they're this show just proves that they've known what to that they could have done a good Hawkeye the entire time, but they didn't. And I'm like, it pains me to see that. Because I know you don't like Jeremy Renner. I think he's good in this role. I think he's finally given depth. I think especially after the death of Natasha, like we see the Rogers the musical. Also, I'm going to spoilers. Sorry about that. Um spoilers for the first four episodes of Hawkeye yes first four episodes of Hawkeye okay it's so like we see the Rogers the musical and stuff and it's the battle of New York like the scene that we see so it's essentially like 9-11 the musical for this character 
like a yeah. very traumatic thing that he lived through. He was right on the front line and stuff, and they're singing and dancing about Cap has to save the day and yada yada. But like he sees uh, the person playing Natasha, and he's just like reminded that was his best friend, his kid's godmother, like the best person that he's ever known in his life, person that he went through thick and thin with and that he had to sacrifice in order to save all these people just for them to parade these characters that were his friends and people that he lived with and died with and it's just like heartbreaking to see him just sort of look at it and be kind of disgusted of him just being like what is all this stuff and I really like how his character just doesn't want to acknowledge that he's a hero because in his eye he's a spy he's someone that's always been meant to kill people like he's not someone to look up to and during you know the five years when everyone was gone because Thanos snapped everyone away when he became the Ronin and he just went around killing everybody like he's still living with all that stuff so when people say like oh you're my favorite or oh can I get a photo he just doesn't want anything to do with it because he doesn't see himself like that and I really love the way that he's just a person that essentially doesn't want to be in the position that he's in but he was roped into it um, for the last, well, this takes place 2024, 20, 20, 12 years. Like 12 years of his life, he's been a public figure. And it's just really interesting to see his dynamic with that. But Clint isn't the only Hawkeye <laughs> that we get in this show. Here we go. We also get Haley Steinfeld playing Kate Bishop. Kate Bishop in the comics, she's essentially a better Hawkeye in every way. Hawkeye says it in the second issue of the run. He's like, yeah, she's pretty much perfect in everything that she does. She's extremely prolific with martial arts, with espionage, talking with people, just like blending in with archery. And seeing their dynamic in the show is really interesting because in the comics, you know, they start off, they're pretty much, well, specifically in the Fraction and Aha run, they start off and they're already like, roommates they're he's trained her long enough they're friends they're they have like all this chemistry and stuff but in the show he's very much like i don't want to be here right now i need to get back to my family for christmas and so they have a lot of like bickering sort of in the not bickering but she really wants to hang out with him and he just wants to get back home to his family so they have that sort of dynamic for the first two or three episodes and then by episode three they have this really awesome chase scene which is ripped out of issue three of that comics run. And so, like, they're going through all these trick arrows and stuff, and she starts saying, like, hey, we need to do this, but his earpiece is out so he can't hear, so he starts repeating it back to her, and they start having communication, or, like, he starts saying, like, yeah, you really are one of the world's greatest archers. He starts to accept her more, and sort of they have this really nice relationship, and so I really just love that relationship. And Haley Steinfeld is great in the role. I think she plays a great Kate Bishop. She's very... She holds herself with, like, poise and dignity because she's Kate Bishop, but at the same time, you understand, like, she's young, and Hawkeye was her favorite character for this and this reason that they established in the first couple of uh, scenes, and it's just really a fun show. I think everyone is great. The only person that I'm like, eh, I'm not really don't like their acting in the show is Vera Farmiga. Some of her line delivery, I'm like, that's weird. That's a weird line delivery. Um, but everything that they've set up so far has been really awesome, and I'm loving it. I love seeing just archery in general, because Hawkeye was the character that got me into archery all those years ago. But I'm really interested to see where they go with the last two episodes. We are seemingly getting Wilson Fisk this Wednesday, 
which Vincent D'Onofrio is coming back to play that role. And that's, oh, it's so good. I'm so happy about this show. Every every week I stay up until, for me, it's 1 a.m. And I watch them. And this week in particular, I just noticed every little detail about it without even looking. Like, I would just look in the background. I'm like, oh, that's the jacket that Kate wore in episode two. Or I would see like, oh, that's a shirt that she wears in the comics. Like, she had a Leica shirt. And it was in Russian, but I recognized the print in particular. So I'm like, oh, that's from, you know, that issue and all that stuff. But it's just like the first time that I've been this, I guess, geeky for a show. Like, it's ah, so good. Do you like the show? I can't tell. I love the show. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's my favorite show that Disney Plus has done. Well, I like Mandalorian a lot and I like season seven of Clone Wars a lot. I think this is better than season seven of Clone Wars. Um, I don't know if I'd say it's better than Mandalorian. Um, but it's definitely my favorite of the MCU shows. WandaVision was good until it wasn't. Falcon and Winter Soldier I also really like a lot. Loki I could not care less about. I think it's a bad show, personally. Um, but this show is just striking on every front for me, personally. You forgot What If. Yeah, I didn't finish What If. <laughs> I don't think anyone did. I didn't hear anyone talk about What If. No, a lot of people finished What If. They uh, Spoilers for What If. They made it okay. a multiverse and they connected it to the MCU again. And I'm like, why? Fun. Just, they did a whole, like, oh, Guardians of the Multiverse. And I'm like, why? Just just let them be individual stories. You know no, what Star Wars never. Visions did? They were individual stories. And they didn't connect to anything. That's what this should have been. Anyways, Ramon, you've also been watching Hawkeye. You've got thoughts. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've been to New York, so uh, I see a lot of things that, uh, that remind me of it. No, I'm joking. Um, You've, I, you flew I, halfway across the world to New York, but Manny and I are live in the same country, and we haven't been there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there twice. Uh, one <laughs> time during New Year's and one time during the summer. I would say not go during the summer because it's way too warm over there. Yeah, I saw In the Heights. I don't want to be there in the summer. In the Heights. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like the show. Um, w- one of my friends who totally forgot that it was on Disney Plus uh, said, uh, I'll start watching it. And I just wait. Uh, another couple of weeks and just binge it because I think it's a perfect show to to binge uh, simply because the story is just paced so well. Uh, I think it's, the shots are good. Um, I think Hindi Steinfeld plays a perfect uh, annoying person. <laughs> she she really can do it as well because in Edge of Seventeen she's fucking annoying as well. But other than that, I just can't wait to, uh, to see how it ends. And maybe what it sets up for in the future, uh, and hopefully a lot of a lot of Haley in the MCU soon. Agree to that. Um, I think <laughs> that like talking about her being annoying, I think like that's a really good thing to talk about as well because Haley Steinfeld has played a lot of annoying characters in the past. Like she played Nadine in Edge Seventeen, her character in Pitch Perfect Two and Three. A lot of people don't like. Um, but what I find really interesting is like. For me personally, like taking all my, you know, biases about loving Haley Steinfeld <laughs> aside, like I just think she plays a good kind of annoying where she's and a lot of people like might say like Edge of Seventeen, she's just terribly annoying and like you don't like her. But I feel like she has this annoying but endearing quality to her. Um, but that's just me. I don't know if like Nick or Ramon, you guys have any of the same feelings about like she's annoying but it's never to a point like you want to just hate the character. Like it's a lovable annoying personally. Yeah. From what I remember, I only saw Edge of 17 once. I remember her being a lovable annoying character, 
True Grit, I don't I don't remember what exactly her character was like. I remember thinking she was really good even like 11 years ago when I saw that in theaters. Um, I haven't seen her in too much other than that. I've, she did the voice working into the Spider-Verse, but other than that, I don't know if I've seen her much more than those. Bumblebee? Oh, yeah, she's in Bumblebee. Yeah, you I saw Bumblebee. I don't think she's too annoying in Bumblebee, not that I recall. If no. she is, she's not the most annoying part of Bumblebee because John Cena, whatever he's doing in that movie, kind of sucks. But um, Listen, Bumblebee has listen. two of my favorite actors in it, so I I like that movie. And, you know, I really like that Who's the other one? Bumblebee. Dylan O'Brien, he's the voice of Bumblebee. No shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, what? yeah that's Dylan O'Brien, man. Okay, I'm sure I knew that, but I did not remember that. Yeah, Bumblebee, it's actually an enjoyable film. I it's like a it. solid 3.5. Yeah, it's good. I feel like that's what I'd give it. Yeah. I think it's a good 3.5 film. I bought it on Blu-ray. I have no des- I've had no desire to watch it in the two years that I've owned it, but I did buy it. I've seen it once, liked it enough, thought about rewatching it, but it's not streaming anywhere. So I'm like, eh, you know, yeah. maybe one day I'll rent it or something, you know, buy it if it's at a cheap enough price. But that's good. No, I'm I'm excited for Hawkeye. Last two episodes, I think what Ramon said about binging it is a really good point because this is definitely a show where each episode ends really abruptly and i'm like okay now i have to wait another week to see how this ends but other than that no i think it's good some people have weird criticisms about kate and i'm like that's wrong some people like yeah i mean it's (laughs) not just that one person in particular the internet in general is just a cesspool of people being like oh she's too powerful and I'm like, it's a superhero show. Go read a comic book and see how powerful she actually is. Anyway. Um, Go read a comic book, you fucking nerd. Yeah, for real. Listen, <laughs> I will send you the sites to go read the comic books. I have them all. He's, he's oh, got I've sources. Also, I've also thought about buying the omnibus of that run because I really just want to own it. Oh, another thing. I don't know if like any of you guys are into grading comics, but no, all, no the, all the... All right, so you know what grading comics is though, right? don't think so no oh wow um so when you grade a comic like you'll send it to go get graded somewhere and what they'll do is they'll evaluate the condition of it see how the spine is looking if there's any rips if there's any water or like room damage or anything like that then they'll send it back to you with um with a grade to see how pristine the comic book is okay so 9.8 is pretty much as good as you can get for a comic book there are a couple of tens but they're very rare um but if you get like a 9.8, that means that your comic is pretty much perfect. Um, people usually do this after a couple of years. They'll may wait maybe like 10, 15 years or so, five, depending on like when comics start to get big. So in particular, the all of the Hawkeye runs in particular have gone up. They were originally like maybe like $90 or so. Now they're up to like $250, $300 for a graded comic. And I wish that I would have listened to a friend of mine who said, hey, you should buy this comic because it's going to go up in price. But I didn't. So if I had got one of those, I would have been able to sell it for upwards of $300. It's not the biggest. I mean, it's a huge increase when you look at it going from like 90 to 300. But there are comics that have been sold for a couple thousand dollars and stuff. So it's by no means the most valuable comic or anything like that. Not by a long shot. But I'm glad to see that people are liking the character more and they're wanting to get into the comic. And I'm glad to see the grading in particular. There are a couple comics that I did buy that I, that I have the intention of getting graded in a couple years. One of those is good boy. I'll talk a little bit about that. Good boy is essentially John wick, but a dog. So the dog's owner gets killed <laughs> and the dog has to go and kill uh, everyone else. 
and I'm really excited for that book. It's three issues. First issue comes out in December. I'm waiting for that to be shipped my way. I have the first two uh, coming, and then I have to order the third one. But those, but those, that's a three comic run that I'm not gonna open at all, and I'm literally just waiting for it to get big because I have a feeling like it will. But other than that, I guess the last thing that I'll talk about for what I've been watching is I've been watching season three of Dickinson, another Haley Steinfeld show, <laughs> um, where she plays Emily Dickinson. Um, I didn't love season two. I thought it was a bit weird. Not weird. I didn't like in, in particular one character, which was Sue, uh, who's played by Ella Hunt. She's in Anna vs. the Apocalypse and a bunch of other things. She has a new AP, EP out. It was really interesting because I liked the first season of Dickinson. I thought it was just sort of a fun romp and all other stuff. Season two made me really like a lot of the characters that I didn't in season one and then hate characters that I liked in season one. And then season three has been pretty much balanced for the most part. They've had a really interesting um, way of talking about the Civil War. And they essentially have two storylines going on. You have everything that's happening with Emily Dickinson in Amherst, Massachusetts. And then you're following a... I don't know if he's a former slave or if he is a slave that left. Um, but they're setting up a battalion um, to fight off against, you know the confederacy and sort of talking about the complications of trying to set up a black army during that time i don't know like how people feel about the way that they portray stuff like slavery and the black uh, armies and trying to set all that stuff up so i have nothing to say about that in particular other than i like the characters but dickinson it's on apple tv plus it has two more episodes left and then the show is done three seasons Haley Steinfeld executive produced all of it she starred in it so this took up a lot of her time which is probably why she wasn't doing a whole lot of movies and stuff was she was working on the show and now you'll get to see her in a lot of movies again hopefully <laughs> I hope I know that she has an album coming out next year of uh, course back in the studio. of course she knew that well yeah I mean she's talked about it you totally didn't see my watch later page and it was just Haley Steinfeld interviews that definitely didn't happen um <laughs> His DMs are open, Haley, by the way, I'm just saying. Listen. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> um, no, like, outside of, you know, looks and all that stuff, I just really like her as an actress, the same way that I feel about Dylan O'Brien. I think they're both really good in what they do, and I always like watching what they have to produce. Dylan is really hot in Bumblebee, I'll give you that. <laughs> but that's been everything that I've been watching. I'm excited for the rest of the year. There's some stuff that I want to see. I want to see Come On, Come On. I want to see Encanto. Maybe I'll see West Side Story. We don't really like it in my household. Um, mm -hmm. I saw a really interesting clip today of like a podcast interview where someone was saying like, does this feel like minstrel stuff for Puerto Ricans? And every time they try to bring it back, it just feels kind of weird. And I'm like, I never thought about that before, but it kind of does because, you know, they had brown face and they were casting white actors and then putting them in brown face and that is it's kind of weird uh a weird relationship with that film and that story in general i was just gonna say it's one of my mom's favorite musicals uh growing up and she maybe watched it a couple years ago and i thought it was okay uh yeah. the fact that it's spielberg is the only thing that makes me want to see it and i think we're gonna see it a couple days before christmas when we both have time off but yeah i yeah. wasn't rushing out to see this one and it sounds like no one else was either because you right before we started recording you sent the 
uh, the box office estimate. It doesn't look particularly good for this opening weekend. No, it's looking like it made $10 million this weekend on a $100 million budget, which, which I... And in that tweet, the person said, like, In the Heights opened to 11.5, and that one was, like, a 50 to $70 million budget. I can't—I think and it was, it was on HBO million. Max. And it was on HBO Max. And I'm like, yeah, baby, let's go. In the Heights, yeah. best movie of the year. Let's go. All about the Mets. Let's go, Mets. All about love the, the Heights, Mets. baby. All about the Heights. <laughs> All about the Heights. You love the Heights. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't understand yeah, what we're we referencing— that? Yeah, I feel like we've done it a couple times this episode. Yeah. Um, we're referencing a video, in particular the Spider-Man one, where, um, for those of you who don't know, the Mets is a baseball team in New York, and they're like yeah. a really popular team. And so well. their chant is, let's go Mets. And so there's a video of someone essentially like redubbing Kingpin, where, he's, where he says, like, it's not all about the money, Spider-Man. It's about the Mets. Love the Mets. Let's go Mets. Love the Mets. Get a home run, baby. Um, and someone so, should, some in like some junk interview, someone should show that video to Liev Schreiber and see if he can dub it over for them. Oh, that would be great. I would love. He that. would do great at it. He would. Be, like, like, there's one line in particular that I like that Liev Schreiber does. I love when he says like, "You're gonna love this. It's a hell of a light show." I don't know what it is about that line. It's just that line delivery. I really like it. But, yeah, that's what we're talking about when we say, like, let's go Mets or we do anything in that sort of, like, let's go Mets. Love the Mets. Gotta go, baby. Like, that's what we're referencing. It's really stupid, but it's really funny at the same time. Yeah. But I think we've gone through everything that we've been watching, which means that we are ready to talk about Halo. I I think so. I don't really have any other games that I want to talk about. I, like... Haven't I've been replaying yeah. Spider Miles Morales? By the time that this episode will come out, I will have done a charity stream over on uh, the YouTube channel Blitzwinger. We're going to be playing, or we will have played the entirety of Spider Man Miles Morales in one sitting. And any of the funds that will be raised during that stream will be going to the Boys and Girls Club of Flagstaff, which is where I go to college. I've been to their um, area, so they have a so they have I know the boys and girls club over there i have some people that work over there so that will have already happened but you can still go back and you can watch some of it you can donate that'll be open i'm pretty sure pretty much the rest of the time that the video is up so if you are interested you can go and watch all that stuff but other than that i haven't really been playing anything else besides halo yeah i uh well i did play through the whole halo 5 campaign on twitch uh last weekend uh, before infinite came out uh, that was one thing I was playing. Otherwise, I think it's hasn't been much that I've been playing. Otherwise, yeah, I'm I'm really struggling to remember. I think it's pretty much just been, and I've been playing like uh, Master Chief Collection multiplayer, Halo Five multiplayer, and Infinite multiplayer. Which I don't know. We can start by talking about the multiplayer before we get into the campaign because I think since our last recording, I don't think the actual multiplayer is even out. Last time we recorded, that's how long. No, it it's is been. not. We did not talk about the multiplayer. Yeah, so we can talk about the official release of the multiplayer. Uh, I guess I'll start. It's a little bare bounds, and I kind of want more content, and I'm sure they'll give us more content, but it's really... some, some Like, the features themselves are really lackluster. I think the core gameplay is excellent for the most part, but the, it's, the playlists are very, very bare bounds. You can't even search for individual game modes. Like, there's no way if you just want to play Slayer and turn your brain off, there's no way to just play Slayer at the moment. And stuff like that's annoying me. I think there's uh, not enough maps, at least, at launch. It feels like I play... Oftentimes, I'll get the same map two or even three times in a row because they they don't keep you in your lobby, so you just have to search for a specific uh, 
one of the like four uh, search types. So you'll be put on the same map doing the same mode quite often. So I feel like that's hurting the replayability of the game so far to me because I haven't played the multiplayer as much as I would have thought. And I think that there's a lack of content at, at launch is probably what's deterring me from playing it more. Ramon, your thoughts? Uh, well, I haven't played multiplayer a lot because I suck at it. <laughs> so I, I agree with the comments of Nick. I mean, um, the, the maps itself, they are not too bad. And uh, um, contrary to Reach, all these maps we've seen are not in the single player. Mm -hmm. So that's a given. Uh, what I really missed was SWAT, that's uh, the game that I played the most with, with friends back uh, in the Reach days and, uh, and Halo 3. And I'm not the biggest fan of the extra tools you have. I'm not sure what they call it, like the grapple hook, the thrusters, and the, and the drop wall. Yeah. But, um, and the simple Halo multiplayer is what I like, even before Sprint came to be. And basically uh, because I couldn't make Sprint work and uh, and the bumper jumper style that they used. So uh, I played it a bit, but uh, I'm not the biggest fan of multiplayer to begin with. But it wasn't the worst multiplayer I've ever played. I have, I think I've played the most multiplayer. I think you have. I'm someone that can overlook a lot of things personally if the oh, gameplay yeah. <laughs> is good. Uh, we've established this with Avengers. Um, I really like the multiplayer in this. I The one mode that I don't like is Big Team Battle. I hate any challenges that I have to do with Big Team Battle because I'd much rather just play the 4v4 mode. But what you're saying about the maps, understandable. I, I think that's a fair criticism. I think maybe if there was like three more maps, um, that'd be fine personally. Yeah, it's not even that I think they're bad maps either. It's just no. none of them are good enough for how much I have to play on them at the moment is, I think, my overall take on it. Yeah, the only map that I don't like is Blast Off or something, or like Launchpad or something like that. It's okay. the it's the map that really comes up a lot with One Flag where you have oh, yeah, yeah. access to you. like the Warthog or, or like the Mongoose. I don't, I don't like that map, but that's pretty much the only one that I don't like. Other than that, I feel like the way that it feels in my opinion is really good um i'll agree with you in regards to i wish that there were modes and they've already said free for all fiesta and swat are coming i think but they said by the end of the year so those three modes are already coming for the end of the year um but i i will agree that i do wish that there was uh, a way to pick specific modes i think that there should be like an instant re not re queue like queuing up again i feel like that should just be instant yeah. map picking i think that should be a mode that should be in there um as well but outside of really those three things i've loved so much about the halo infinite multiplayer like the gameplay in particular really good i know that a lot of people were saying like oh i don't like the ttk it's too high i'm like no nah, that feels like halo oh i don't like uh, the way that this weapon feels it takes forever i'm like no that feels like halo <laughs> like there's a lot of things that when i'm playing it i'm like this feels like halo but to ramon's point there are stuff like the grappling hook or your thrusters the drop wall uh the repulsor like those kinds of uh armor pickups and stuff that i completely understand if you were a older halo veteran that has played a lot of the older games and stuff and all this stuff is I don't want to say like too much, but it's just not what you're looking for in the camp in the multiplayer. I understand that completely. Yeah, I, I understand that. None of them, none of those uh, abilities really bother me at all. 
Um, I think the grapple hook is it's made far more for campaign than it is for multiplayer. I think, um, but otherwise, I feel like all they all work well and they don't they don't take me out of the multiplayer experience at all. I think three and four when they added all their armor abilities or the equipment pickups there's like a couple in, in each of those sets that are, are just terrible or they make the game actively worse like the flare in three is just obnoxious because it just makes it so that no one can see anything for like 10 seconds like stuff like that I, I, I didn't enjoy but i feel like this game it only has like four or five uh armor mods and you pick them in multiplayer you pick them up on the battlefield so i feel like it's not it's not that big of a deal for me and i, I think they all work well enough yeah, the only one that I don't like is the repulsor because I never use it for anything. Every I always forget I... what it's used for. <laughs> yeah, every time I pick it up, I'm like, I don't, I don't use this because I always forget that I have it. Whereas I'm more likely to use thruster or the drop wall or grapple hook in particular. Oh my god, I love that grappling hook. It's so good. Do you remember uh, what I told you, like, a couple, maybe a month or two ago about how I really hope they didn't design this game around the grapple hook? Uh, yeah. We'll get in the campaign in a second, but they did, in fact, design the game around the grapple hook, and it actually works so fucking well. It, it works makes your, so It makes traversal good. so fun. I was ready to hate on the grapple hook, but Me too, uh, man. I kind of turned around. It really works. And I'm glad it's not a standard uh, capability you have all the time in multiplayer. Because then it might be a bit overkill. Yeah. But for campaign, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm totally yeah. It, it's not like Titanfall where it's you know you have it on you at all times. You're using it to get to all these places. A, it's limited. You only get I think three, but you can get up to five. Um, and the range is really it's a short range thing. It's a good range in my opinion, but it's really not overpowered. I think pretty much everything has been balanced really good in this game there's only yep. like one weapon that i absolutely hate plasma pistol why is it in this game it's atrocious <laughs> that's really the only gun that i hate like i don't like the uh what's the one with the giant needle and the giant spike skewer. The, the skewer no no no. the skewer i love the needle. Oh, okay no the skewer <laughs> the skewer i don't really like um i came around on that shock rifle I came around like a full 360 on that, well, 180 on that shock yeah. rifle. After a while, when I started hitting headshots consistently, I was like, oh no, this is really good. This is a really mm-hmm. good weapon. Yeah, there were a handful of weapons that uh, that I didn't enjoy in multiplayer that I thought, I feel like campaign is going to make me understand why these weapons are here and how to actually use them effectively. And once I played through the campaign, I was justified in that opinion. Especially the one that I hated was the pulse carbine, where you have to lead your shots, and it felt like they did minimal damage with it. In the campaign, if you know how to lead your shots, and they obviously don't move as fast as a, an actual human being sprinting in multiplayer, but if you know how to lead your shots and you get headshots with it, it's as good as any other headshot weapon. That's what I appreciate was that stuff I didn't enjoy in multiplayer has its uses in campaign. There's nothing in the campaign that I felt like was totally useless on the battlefield. I I agree with that 100%. I don't know if we want to start talking about the campaign now that we're sort of leading I think we into can. it. But, uh, can I just say yeah, go ahead. one more thing that doesn't really feel like Halo is the battle pass system and the way to customize. Because that was really a staple of all the old games, especially multiplayer, where everybody... You know, try to make their armor look the coolest, and now it's just everybody looks kind of the same because it's impossible to try and unlock uh, new armors and capabilities, colors, and uh, what have you. Yeah, that that's what I was gonna bring up was uh, the stuff that 
is really glaringly a problem was the battle pass system the customization and the monetization those were like the three things that really hinder in my opinion the multiplayer i think yep in my opinion the progression has gotten way better than what it was at launch but it is also one of those things of like someone will say oh if you just play six games then you automatically get a level a day and i'm like yeah but not everyone has enough time to play six games so i i think that it has gotten better the challenges are a lot simpler now but i by no means think that it's a good progression system i think they're they should have you know stuck with getting match xp but challenges help boost you up a little bit but it is a six month battle pass that you never lose so people if you play a lot of halo and it's definitely now if you play even just casual halo you'll reach the end of the battle pass but i completely agree with what you're saying about the customization the options being locked behind the battle pass and lacking variety and a lot of stuff um i'm completely there with you yeah customization has never been something that i've really cared about especially in first person games like i can't see my guy when i'm actually playing the game so what his armor looks like has never mattered for me um so in that sense it's not the end of the world for me like i'm just playing the game to play the game if i'm playing ranked then i don't like i care more about my my actual ranking and rank than i do anything else but otherwise like it's annoying and i think it's a stupid system and i think the band-aid that they've put on it to where uh, they haven't been able to overhaul the system yet, but they have it so that you get some uh, XP toward the battle pass just for completing a match now. That's like basically what the system needs to be, even though they haven't fixed it to make that the default. They have it as a challenge right now. So I think that's something they're probably going to fix. Yeah, and, and they've already done like your first game is like 600 XP, then your next yeah. one is 300, then 200, then, you know, so on and so forth. So they've already been trying to make it i don't want to say easier they're trying to make it more accessible to be like we want to give you xp to see all the cool stuff that we're doing um but it is not good it's not in a place right now where i can say yeah it's good progression system no it's not and i will be honest about that yeah and i mean the fact that it's the multiplayer aspect is free to play from a studio that's never done free to play i feel like that's probably part of it and they had some microtransaction stuff in halo 5 they had their rec packs but at the very least those were such that you you could get armor upgrades or you could get like assassination animation stuff like that but most of the stuff you would get was power weapons that you could use in warzone so there's at least a practical use to that stuff if for some reason you want to pay the ridiculous prices that those rec packs cost I think it's ten dollars for like a basic gold rec pack that you that I could un unlock in like two or three games of playing. It's ridiculous. So I think in that sense, no one actually bought that stuff. I could be wrong about that. I've never seen the numbers on that, but I couldn't imagine paying that much for some of that stuff. And and I feel like they're trying to take this approach to monetization now, and I feel like they haven't figured out how to do it effectively yet. Like Fortnite or whatever, you have all those skins of popular movie characters or whatever. It's a third person game. You can see yourself. You can see yourself playing as that character the whole time. I feel like there's more bang for your buck just by the simple fact that you can see yourself during gameplay. In an FPS game, you can only see yourself uh, at the animations at the beginning and the end of the game before it actually gets started. That's pretty much it. So I feel like I'm sure they're making some money off of this, but it's not optimized the way it could be, could be yet. And I don't know what the solution for them is in that aspect no yeah 100 percent with all that stuff it is their first this is the first for a lot of for three free three three free three 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 free three industries three four three is their first 
free to play first battle pass first open world so it is the first for a lot of 343 stuff i think like that's a good segue into the campaign as we established on uh, our previous halo episode nick really loves halo i like halo i've never ramon been... loves halo too yeah ramon also loves halo um i've never gotten deep into the lore or anything like that i've played through the campaigns but you know i'm not the biggest halo person i've played through them i've played them with friends a lot but they don't stick with me like other campaigns do so i feel like that's an interesting way to start because they've been sort of saying like oh yeah this is a nice spiritual reboot for the halo franchise and i'll be honest I don't know how someone who's not in love with Halo is going to follow this campaign. Yeah, it's it's very simple. A lot of it's very simple, at least to start. In terms of how the game starts, it's extremely basic. You know immediately what happens. I think we'll get into spoilers since you've all played it. Yes. Uh. Well. Well. I, let's do general we'll do thoughts first, impressions. first. Yeah. We'll do like general thoughts first, and then we'll talk more about the story in specific. Yeah, as someone, I guess I can, I'll do my bit. As someone who's been a fan for my entire life, I think the basic approach that this campaign starts with is really effective. Like, it feels much more focused than especially Halo 5 was, and Halo 4 uh, also had some issues in in that regard. Uh, This game feels much more focused from start to finish. It feels, I always feel like I know what my goal is, and I always know who I'm fighting, and I think the characterization is strong pretty much across the board. And I found this campaign to be a mostly rewarding experience. There's some stuff that drags. There's some padding throughout the game, I think. But all in all, I really dug this for the most part. And I can see how someone who's not a fan might feel somewhat alienated by this. But I feel like it's also more accessible than something like Halo 5 was for a non-fan. Ramon, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I agree with Nick. I mean, it, it kind of feels like a, uh, like a uh, soft reboot kind of thing. But uh, I think with the, with the opponents you face, it's, it's clear that somebody has, who has played maybe Halo 1 and maybe Halo 2 and 3 as well, that they can figure out what, what they're fighting and, and why and, and, and how. But yeah, other than that, I, I liked it, but I, it's definitely not my favorite Halo campaign, not even close. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's my favorite in a long time. Maybe since 3, possibly since Reach. I haven't decided yet. I'm Again, I've played all these campaigns like at least 5 times, some of them well over 10 times. So I've played this one once and I'm fresh off of it. We'll see how it ages over time because some of them have gotten better or some of them have gotten worse over time. I definitely want to replay it just to, uh, just as well for the for the story to uh, to relive it again, but maybe not on easy difficulty next time around. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Manny and I, I think, both played through it on normal, and I was actually surprised at how difficult it was at spots. Some of it did. Some of it did get difficult randomly. Yeah, there's some. Um, I think we can get into spoilers now. We've all done. done I haven't said thoughts. my my stuff yet. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I know enough about Halo to follow the story pretty well. I liked it. I I completely agree with. There is some padding, specifically the mission Pelican down. That's Mm -hmm. a really padded out mission. I think that's maybe like the only mission that I didn't like. But I guess like the other thing that I don't like about it is that a lot of the story is either done off screen or it's through audio logs. And that's kind of like my main complaint is that like what I hear in the audio log sounds really interesting. Um, I just wish that I could play it. Like I wish it was just a little bit longer to have a little bit more of the intro and then some more 
with like what we hear in the audio logs i would have liked more of that but i think like that's a testament to how much i actually enjoyed what we got i really enjoyed it there was like we talked about there were some weird difficulty spikes the road for some reason was well for me personally was really difficult uh there was one other fight that for some reason was difficult but other than that i enjoyed it i really liked it i like just going around killing grunts killing the grunts in this game are hilarious they're really good Um, they did a much better job writing the uh writing the the covenant characters they they did did a much better job writing the characters in general like if you're someone who if you're someone who thought halo 5's campaign was terrible from a story perspective like me i feel like and every time i think of this i'm like oh i feel like the i feel like the kind of person who would have loved the rise of skywalker because they hated the last jedi because like oh it's such a good course correction but this really does feel like it and it does make it rather than just ignore stuff that happened it actually takes some of that in stride and retro like it does doesn't really retcon anything it just goes down a path that helps rectify stuff that happened and helps make sense of all of it in the grand scheme of things yeah it's by no means doing like what the rise of skywalker did which was sort of trying to ignore as much of what happened in the previous games as possible they acknowledge it but they go a different route than what was sort of set up and it's not like oh this was bad and we don't want to do anything like this it's uh, one of the lines that they keep saying is plans change like that is said (laughs) so many times in the in the campaign and i feel like this was a good campaign to be like plans change and it was in my opinion a good course correction but i don't think it was perfectly on the right like road just yet i think yeah i don't i think it's heading there I just think that they need to do a little bit more to get us there. Okay, so we can go into spoilers now. I think we've yeah. all given our general thoughts well yeah. enough. I um, I like it. I would recommend it. I think it's a good gameplay. Yep. I think the open world for the most part is enjoyable. I like one one of the things that like they've said when developing the first Halo games was doing a thirty second loop to keep the players engaged, and I think there's a really good thirty second loop in this game. Yeah, but yeah. I would recommend it. It's on Game Pass. Listen, Xbox, Xbox Game, game Pass, Pass, baby. Xbox. It's all about the Game Pass, baby. Love the Game Pass. <laughs> uh, game Pass, $15 a month. Uh, you can play it on your phone, PC, your Xbox. Uh, your fo- I said your phone already. I would well, be fascinated I re- to see someone play Infinite on their phone. Yes, which we will also get into. <laughs> game Pass, it's a good deal. You can play this entire campaign on there for free, as well as other games like Psychonauts 2, which Nick has been playing through and enjoying yep. more and more that he plays it, which I, I love to see I still haven't that. beaten it, because I've, I've had to... I just got busy, and I've had Halo to worry about. Yeah. Uh, but I'll get back to it. I'm going to try and beat it before the end of the year. Yeah. Um, but Game Pass, it's a good deal. Forza, Psychonauts 2, and Infinite, and Flight Sim in the last Flight half Sim. of the year is it? It's a pretty good second half of the year for And then some good indie games. Like, I've really Mm -hmm. enjoyed the Artful Escape from what I've played. That's just a really beautiful-looking game, and I like, like, what they're doing with it. And they're adding more games. Like, next year we'll get Starfield right on release day. Like, that's going to be fun to see what they do. And you're getting a whole good amount of games, AAA games, for 15 bucks a month. And you're paying for your Xbox Live subscription. (laughs) Come on. It's the best deal in gaming, guys. Hi, Phil. Phil, please. What's up, Daddy Phil? It's so funny because a friend of mine has better internet than I do, and my Halo finished before his, and so he's like, man, Phil must really be listening to you. So, Phil, (laughs) if you are listening, we love Game Pass. We do ads every episode. We would love if you just, if you want to do something, hit us up. 
I'm yep. on Twitter, Star Wars Nerd Nine. He's on Twitter, Reeves One One Seven. Come on, let's do it. Let's do it. I will say though, if Phil if Phil does listen to this show, he must like you more than he likes me because my my download was so fucking slow. It oh, it, so it dropped funny. it it dropped at noon um, for me when when the game dropped, and there's no preload, which pissed me off. Uh, because that meant I had to wait to install the whole game after it came out. So I ended up playing it at like 8 o'clock that night and only got to play a couple hours of it. So I would have wanted to play more of it day one. I could have possibly beaten it on day one if I'd been able to play it, like preload it when it came out. So in that sense, I don't like you, Phil, because my internet's terrible because I live in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I, I had school Wi-Fi, but it ended up correcting itself after the first like 10 minutes or so, and then it just shot up and it was fine. Yeah. But yeah, so we're, we'll delve a little bit deeper into the campaign and our spoiler thoughts about it. So I just want to sort of set up what the story is, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, okay. So we start off the game, Chief is fighting a banished um, officer. He's a very high ranking named Atriox. He's um, the leader. He's the leader. The leader. Yes. Uh, the leader of the banished Atriox. And we're essentially shot from his ship as it explodes. And then we meet up with the character, the pilot, who is in a pelican. He's stranded in space, and there's no one around to help him. But then six months pass um, through a series. It's not really a montage. They just do an interesting sort of... He's looking at something in one frame, and then in another, he has a different look to show the passage yeah. of time. He picks up Master Chief, and they need to go retrieve um, an AI called The Weapon, who is a Cortana-like AI to say the least and she sort of tells chief hey there's stuff going on on this halo ring which is zeta halo and we see that it's broken we don't know why and we're sort of trying to figure out why that's happening and also what's going on with chief because he's starting to hear messages from cortana i feel like that's a okay summary of the general gist of the campaign so what i liked about this story i think i wish the uh, opening cutscene were playable i wish that was the actual first mission for one, I think it jumps in a little too quickly, but I also appreciate that the entire game is basically a mystery that you're very slowly unraveling. And I like that approach overall, even th even though at first I was questioning, like, why is this moving so quickly? Why are we not getting to spend more time on the Infinity? Because that's the Infinity that goes down, which is the big ship from this trilogy of games. And it gets destroyed at the beginning and you don't see anybody that was a character in four and five. Like you get audio logs of Lasky, you hear about blue team and Spartan lock and all that, but you don't see any of them in this game. They're not here. And you just kind of have to roll with that part. And I think the, the, the fact that this game approaches everything as a mystery that has to slowly unravel, I think is really effective because to me, it kept me wanting to keep playing. Even if there were points where the gameplay was faltering a little bit for me, and there's sequences that drag a little bit, but I always wanted to see what was happening next because I felt like you did a good job of pacing everything out so that you were constantly getting some sort of new revelation about everything. Or if, if it was creating more questions, they were questions you genuinely wanted to see answered because I had a lot of questions after the opening cutscene or after the opening mission. I had a lot of questions after finding the weapon, and I felt like as it unraveled, everything was mostly very satisfying. Yeah, I think I agree with you on the story, but what still baffles me is that there's little to no backstory on the banished themselves at all throughout the game. Yeah. You don't know where they come from, you don't know why they are banished, and uh, who Atriox eventually is, and then apparently... Off of that short beginning, Atriox is gone and you have to deal with Escherum, which is also mm -hmm. a massive brute uh, chieftain officer, probably. Um, 
But that, that still feels weird to me because in Halo Wars 2 you get about a five minute cutscene explaining what happened and how they came to be. So I was thinking, well, maybe they do the same for, for Infinite and they, they definitely don't. Um, I was just going to say, something like that is where I definitely see Manny's point about how you have to be a fan. Because I haven't played either of the Halo Wars games, but I at least have a general knowledge of what the Banished are just from osmosis of hearing about them. So, like, I knew who Atriox was. I knew the general idea of what the Banished were. The stuff that bothered me was that last last time we left off, Arbiter was fighting the Covenant in a civil war. He'd basically won, but as far as we knew, the Covenant was done, and the Arbiter was somehow involved. He's gone. That that whole aspect isn't here, and some of that stuff it felt it just felt like a disconnect from last time. Last we knew, the Covenant were basically dead, and now we have this other faction of the Covenant that seems to be far more imposing than any other version has ever been, and it sort of feels like it popped up out, popped up out of nowhere. If you're just playing the mainline games, if you don't play Halo Wars, because we haven't seen the Brutes in a long time either, and not and they're by far the main the main enemy that you fight there's some elites in there but the, it's like it feels like 75 percent are the brutes yeah when i was playing the game because i haven't played foreign i haven't played halo wars 2 a whole lot i've played you know very little of it so i know these are enemies from that game i tried not to focus on like who are they and just like what do they want and in this game they want to take control of zeta halo because it's a very big halo and it's a powerful one and you know halos are used for weapons but there's also this whole thing of there's something on this halo that they're searching for that they're digging for and they get tied up with the forerunners um and i forgot her name the the harbinger Harbinger? yeah the harbinger yeah and they get tied up with that whole thing because they're both trying to get something out of this halo and so like that's what i was sort of you know focusing on but i like i was sort of like all right who are they because i was also expecting to get some more like oh what are they and we get like a little bit of like oh the reason why they're doing this is because atrox is dead and they want to be remembered for yada yada but it wasn't really that interesting yeah it's very and eshram especially as a character i feel like i've seen this type of character before where they're dying and they want one last like final fight legacy is like the most important thing to them and I, I found that enjoyable enough, like, as a motivation for him. It's more interesting than just we're a fucking religious cult that just wants to activate them because we think it's our... We think this is what our religion has told us to do, which is what the Covenant were in the first three games. I, I It's different, and it's not necessarily as good of a motivation, I guess, in terms of, like, the uh, grand scheme of things. But I found it interesting, at least for how this game works, because their goals are different than just what we've seen in the first... In, like the the biggest games of this series which is they want to activate the rings and you have to stop them there's at least a different wrinkle to it this time yeah which was uh i've talked with some people and i've seen like online people's sort of complaints about the story is that they're like well what's the motivation and it's also i think like i don't know how far they actually got into it because i was talking with some friends and i'm like this feels sort of like classic halo and they're like Mm -hmm. yeah but you're just sort of like thrown into the middle of it and i'm like you start halo one thrown into the middle of it you start halo three in the middle of a battle like that's sort of what i think like halo starts as but i think yeah like the for me personally like they've always been mystery games halo 5 is why did master chief betray the unsc supposedly you know the trailers were the trailers were that yeah (laughs) and it was them trying to capture master chief to kill him and stuff 
And, yeah. you know, all the games, in my opinion, have always been mystery games. Like, they're always like, we're discovering pieces as we go along. And so that's what I've felt with five, well, not five, with Infinite, is that it's a mystery game. Yeah, you should know about, like, the Banish and all this other stuff, but for me, the main focus was Chief, the Weapon, and Cortana. What is the connection between all three of them and this Halo yeah. ring? And I think that that was a really good execution of that, because we see, we get that revelation about the middle of the way through. Again, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. The <laughs> weapon is an exact replica of Cortana. Mm-hmm. And so, like, seeing that relationship of you're hearing Cortana through Chief, and we get, like, that monologue from Cortana where she's like, what would you do if you could, if you knew, like, when you would die? Or something like that. Yeah. And all that stuff. And then that comes back at the very end when she's having that conversation with Atriox. So there's a lot of, like, stuff that they, uh, that they set up, in my opinion, between the three of them that really just was keeping me going. Of Like, I want to know yep. where the cortana chief and weapon storyline in specific was going on i feel like the banished were really just there to provide a threat and also because they're more related to cortana than they are to chief because cortana started to do that siege on everyone like we saw the the flashback where that group of spartans dies because they blow up the ship and all that stuff so it's it's really interesting in my opinion I was interested more in that aspect of the story, the mystery of what happened to Cortana. And I feel like that was really interesting uh, for the story and the campaign. And I liked all the stuff with that. Yeah, I did too. And I like when when I talk about the mystery, the thing, the thing for me was after at the end of the first mission, or I guess into the second mission, I think at the end of the first mission, you learn that Atriox is dead and you're like, wait, what the fuck? He's the guy who just (laughs) destroyed the infinity. It's like, okay, this is weird, but I'll roll with it because I feel like it's leading somewhere. And his part eventually does lead somewhere, not as much as the other revelation, which is that Cortana's dead and she died off screen. It's so the whole game, at least I'm questioning, like, is she really dead? Are we going to encounter her at the end? And I was actually surprised that she is, in fact, really dead, even though you do encounter her in some form at the end. That's that setup was a good hook was like Atriox is dead and Cortana are dead is dead. And both of these happened off screen. And I just knew it's not like they're not going to leave that alone. It's not that's going to be the driving force. You're going to slowly learn more about it. So even though she dies off screen, you learn everything you need to learn about it. And I think the revelation, even with how slow it actually reveals itself, is effective. And I think at the end, it pays off really strongly. Yeah. And I especially like how they um, see, uh, how they showed why the banished are dead set on activating the ring and uh, having the I think we can say another time, spoiler, spoiler, how they do the endless mm-hmm. part on the end, basically giving the game an open end, how they set that up, uh, and apparently Atrios being alive, which kind of became clear that it was an open end and predictable that he was going to show up mm-hmm. somehow. So I'm I'm really guessing, is Cortana really gone or is she not? Even though the weapon basically is Cortana 2.0, I think she might show up somewhere in the next game i think she's gone but we might still get more stuff with that original version of cortana in some capacity like i don't think i don't think she'll be alive again but we'll get something i think we will get more cortana like specifically in infinite because i'm pretty sure like they've already said hey we're doing you know story dlc for the game and stuff like there's more coming for this story i'm pretty sure they've already said that um yeah don't don't quote me on that but i'm 
I'm almost 100% sure that they've already said we're going to keep expanding this story in Infinite specifically. I was wondering about that because it's like, especially the title of the game would suggest this is going to be the Halo that lasts for a long time, longer than any other game in the series. Yeah, which and... they've said like, hey, we want to set up Infinite to be the new start of Halo and the new era. So I'm assuming yeah. like this is going to be not essentially like their destiny, but they're going to keep doing some story stuff for this game. But they've said that this has a run of ten years, yeah. at least. Yeah, that's yeah, what at least said. on the multiplayer side. So at that point, at that point, I feel like at some point you've got to do some story DLC, and I think people will be here for it because it's Halo campaign. Yeah. And every time a new Halo campaign comes out, I'm amazed. Like people who aren't even into Halo, like the other, whenever a new game isn't just coming out, they're they're always back for these campaigns. Like there's a yeah. huge audience for these campaigns, and I think people will be there for story DLC as yeah. well. I think within two years we see a story DLC come out. I think it might be three or four, but I'm if it's within two years, I'll take it. I, I don't I definitely don't think we see anything next year. I think no. two years. I think we got story stuff in two years, but that does like that's another point of my thing is like I do like where the story ends. I, I just want more of that because I think like yeah. the beginning four or five missions or so are kind of like meh. I think like after the foundry, things get really interesting. So I like sort of the back half more than I like the front half. I think after mission like five or so, I really like the campaign. Up until then, I liked it. And I also liked, you know, just killing stuff and just having fun with that. <laughs> but sort of when we start to shut down the spires, I really just like it. I've said it before. Um, I do like the weapon in this game. I know some people were kind of like mixed mm -hmm. on her. But I think by the time we do get that halfway point, I like her and I really like when I like the first time that Chief is about to shut her down and then he oh, doesn't. Yeah. And then it comes back later and she's like, you were going to shut me down. And sort of you see the reason why is the reason why he couldn't save Cortana and sort of yeah. him not wanting to repeat all that stuff. But by the end of the show, you see that he gets that closure with Cortana because that was a really... I like that aspect a lot in this game where they're like, I did too. Chief is here in Cortana. Why? And the weapon's like, why is Cortana so important? Why did she do this? Why is this happening? And he's like, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I think by the end of the game, when we see she sacrificed herself, she sort of came to the realization of the way that, I don't want to say like the way that she was acting, but like what her actions started to mean to other people and sort of how she's like, I have to go like this is I have to just sacrifice myself and it's established yeah. at the very beginning of the game where Halsey's like she will do anything she will kill herself and you will have to as well and sort of seeing like she took that price that he didn't because he was the one that had to be able to do it because she thought that she could do it by herself but she couldn't and so I really liked everything between Chief and Cortana yeah I, I loved all that stuff and I appreciate like this this game by far does more with chief as a character than any other i feel like you get more of a sense of his empathy than you do with anyone else and i think a lot of that comes down to the pilot being one of only like three ally characters that you even have in the entire game and i think when i when i talk about this game being very basic at least at the outset him with the pilot in the first few missions is kind of what i'm is mainly what i'm talking about because it's very basic it's like you, you you get the dynamic immediately the pilot is like just scared to death he needs to, he wants to go away and chief just he has to keep trucking he has to finish the mission 
and you can tell what their dynamics going to be and i think it's perfect and i think it does a great job especially in the middle part where you get that conversation between them after uh, he rescues him from the pelican and the pelican down mission chief for the first time at least with another human character you feel like he's actually empathizing with someone and he has his own lived experiences to to use as advice to help someone and I feel like you don't get anything like that in any of the other games in the series. Yeah. And I really like that dynamic. Yeah, that was a really good conversation between them where, where Chief's like, we all make mistakes. Because you find out that the Pelican, that we'll call him Fernando, because that's his name, Fernando. Yeah, at the very uh, end. It felt like I was waiting for a big reveal of what his eh, name was, and then it's just a name. Sergeant Johnson, number two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but you find out that Fernando essentially stole the Pelican, and he was just drifting through space. Uh, for that amount of time and stuff but i really like that conversation between the two of them where chief is like we all make mistakes and you get everything like you see the weapon in her reaction chief is fine i feel like this is the most human chief has been like oh, I, by far. like there's that really it's a cute interaction where the weapon and chief are talking and the weapon's like so let me get this straight you can make jokes and he's like yes and yes <laughs> like it's just like small things like that where you're seeing chief is this you know larger than life personality in the world of halo like he is the spartan everyone says that in uh yeah throughout the game especially in this game i like that his reputation precedes him in this game like yeah. everyone knows exactly who he is yeah um like on, on the covenant side of things yeah but like you also get like all those small moments where he's talking with the weapon and he's like learning more about her as much as she's learning about him or his interactions yeah. with the pilot like at the very end when the pilot hugs him and he's like listen man i'm just really happy to see you like it's mm -hmm. like those things where i'm like the relationships that they built with chief and all the characters worked for me even if i think yeah. the pilot was too high strung for too much of this game yeah. like yeah, he was either. he was he looked like he was on coke like those eyes <laughs> we talk about like facial animations all this stuff and he was the, adrift in space for six months bro yeah and for the most part like the facial animations in this game are good like animations in general mm -hmm. i think are good in this game but his eyes looked like they were gonna pop out of his head every <laughs> scene that he was on for like the it's first, a stressful situation okay pretty much i think up until right after pelican down he looked like he was about to pop every single mm -hmm. like scene and he talked with his mouth grit like this the entire time. And I'm like, okay, okay, I understand you're upset. But, like, you know who Master Chief is. The Covenant yeah. know who Master Chief is. I feel like you would be a little bit more calm at that point. Mm -hmm. I, like, there's that really cute interaction at the beginning where he's like, he's like, do you have a weapon? And he's like, all I have is this pistol, one shot. He's like, that's all I need. He's like, you're going to take out an entire ship with that? And he throws the the explosive barrel and he shoots it and then he gets an assault rifle from one of the dead unsc soldiers and yeah like he keeps going he's like all right i see it now and i'm like i feel like at that point he would have maybe not at that point i think like once they say like no we're staying on zeta halo i feel like give him one more mission of him being high strung and then sort of start to calm down and he does calm down but he's still too high strung for me yeah yeah i really like that opening um that opening does a good job of making you feel like you're at like you are at your lowest low like as for all you know the unsc is just chief and this one pilot and all they have to fight the entire banish with is one bullet and a pistol like that's it i love that that's how the game starts and i wish i wish more of the game felt like you were in a truly desperate situation because once you get back once you get down onto the ring it doesn't feel like a truly des desperate situation like the beginning of the game does and for that i would say play legendary yeah oh god yeah <laughs> um yeah it, like 
one thing that with open world games, and this is different than other open world games, it's not as uh, in-depth as most open world games that you'll play, but games like this, where you're slowly, it, uh, I felt the same, I think, in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, where you're slowly capturing different territories, is that you're basically, you're, you're, the entire game is you tipping the scales in your favor, and then at the end of the game, it's like, we're, we're dominant now. Like, we, we've taken, in this case, most of the ring from the banished. It's like, we we are in control now. You don't feel like the situation is as desperate as it should be, like, from a writing perspective. At near the end of the second act or being of the third act is when you should be at your lowest low. And it feels like that's not exactly the same here. Even though I think the mission where the pilot gets captured, like, I was locked in at that point. Like, yeah, I'm going to go fucking save this guy. I think that mission does a great job in that regard. But I want wanted more of the game to feel like that. I would say if you don't do any of the open world stuff and you just go and beeline the story, I feel like you would get that. Um, yeah, and I, I still skip most of the FOBs. I think I only got like I only captured like three of them and only did like maybe one or two of the like, I need the big... two more. I think I need two more FOBs. I did five of the bosses. So I did more open world stuff than most. Uh well, between the three of us, I think I might have done the most. I'm not sure how much did. Ramon did. I think I, I think I did a couple more. I think I, I did. I took the longest to finish the the campaign till the end. That's true. And, and, you, and because you are in a different timeline than we are, you probably had more time with it than I think timeline. Timeline, time zone, whatever. Somewhere else in the multiverse. Yeah, time zone, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think like I can see your point about like it what we're playing and then what we feel are very different because like we're being yeah. told hey we're at the lowest of the low but we've captured a dozen fob bases and we're yeah we have control of the ring yeah so i get that um ramon you were gonna say yeah. something uh yeah i, I think uh, um uh, what nick says if you um to tip the scale in your favor if you catch a couple of those fobs you can just spawn a scorpion tank every time yeah. you, you get capture a new one so buddy if i when i finally had that um that possibility i just always chose a tank and started driving uh to the to the next part of the story and just maul down every every enemy i saw and that it has made it really easy i mean uh i think one of the spires you had to deactivate with the two raids and a couple yeah. of ghosts uh after you can could steal a banshee that was probably the most difficult one to take Mm -hmm. But I think that's about it, and I think the the, the setting of the um, of the first part of the game is a bit boring, because you have all the, you have the same looking structures, you have the same surroundings. There's no daytime nighttime switch that much compared to the other games. Yeah, the nighttime doesn't feel very dark, and it no. also co goes back to day very quickly. Yeah, and it, it basically feels like the first. Um, mission on the original uh, Halo ring in the, in the first Halo. Yep. Yep. Because then you have the three marine squads that you need to save. Mm -hmm. And it's just the, the XXL version of what you did in that game yep. uh, compared to the other uh, to the other games that had a real diverse setting compared to this one. Yeah, I think the open world is mostly enjoyable to explore. Like Manny said, the 30 second loop, it feels like uh, you never go that far without encountering different characters uh, or di different people to fight or finding different marine squads to save. 
you, it never it's never too long that you're just exploring with nothing going on no music in the background it always feels like you're doing something but i feel like it's overall lacking in variety because uh, if you're on the surface of the ring just exploring the open world it's just grassland pretty much the entire the entire ring is just that um and then you're just capturing fobs or you're you're taking out targets of interest like it's the same stuff over and over again and i don't know i, I like that i like this different approach to it and how i, I like the non-linearity i guess but i also feel like they it's not like a true open world game in that sense it doesn't feel like it has enough variety for that yeah and this is like one of the like i agree with this point a lot of people were saying is that i think the variety is lacking like i would have liked if maybe you know one of the parts of the islands was all snowy based like that would have been cool if one of the island yeah like one of the places like on the halo ring was like more snow based or like even mission variety if like if we are you know gonna be like on the outside let's have it be a sniper mission in the open world but a lot of yeah. it is sort of like due to the UNSC is gone. Like, you are by yourself. Well, seemingly, yeah. the UNSC is gone. You're by yourself. So there's no, you know, like, Sergeant Johnson or someone to say, all right, we're going to go do this. Here's the equipment and all that stuff. Like, it is transitioning from open world into these missions, and most of them are inside. Um, so they all mm -hmm. sort of look the same, which I 100% agree with. I would have liked more variety visually and then from, like, a mission standpoint. Give me some more, like... We have uh, the long road, road to perdition, open road, road warrior. What was the name of that? The road? It's literally the just road. the road. Road. <laughs> road. Road. Anyway, SpongeBob road. reference. Um, but, like, I feel like there could have been, like, maybe, like, one or two more, you know, vehicle missions. Even though I don't like the way the vehicles control in this game, outside, yeah, of, the, outside of the ghost, I think the ghost is the only good one. But, like, the other issue with vehicles is that there's no visual indication of when you're about to die. So there were a lot of times where I'm just, you know, chilling in my, in, you know, one of the tanks and stuff, and then I just die. And I'm like, oh, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> so that was, like, an issue for me. But, yeah. like, the variety of missions and stuff, I, I agree with. Like, I would have liked to see you know snow or maybe we're on a beach on this halo ring like we can do different yeah. things with it like even the even the very first game there's like the first the first mission there the second mission uh of the game the first one where you're actually on the ring is like what this entire game looks like but then you have assault on the control room which is snowy you have 343 guilty spark which is in a swamp you only have the library in terms of when you're actually underground and exploring the like the forerunner structures of the ring but like even the first game has more diversity in terms of locales than this game does and that just feels weird for an open world game like most open world games i've played like you'll you'll find places that look different if you go far enough and this entire ring is just that it's just one kind of static looking grassland imagine if the forza map was the halo map yeah <laughs> i i would i would fucking love that can we get the, can we make that happen phil Phil, listen, we've been supportive. Phil. I like the campaign. Seems like all three of us like the campaign yep. overall. It was a good job. Yep. Good job to the people here. Can we just make the Forza Horizon 5 map the Halo map uh, for Infinite? Can we just make that like a DLC, um, please? Thank you. That's all I have to say about that. Although I will say, as opposed to the first game where, um, like in the library, I feel like it got lost all the time because everything, everything underground looks the same. I feel like all the missions where you're in the forerunner structures in this game 
um i never felt like i got lost and i always felt like i knew where i was going which is a plus because that hasn't always been the case in halo games and i do think they yeah. look nice visually it's got a very very cool sleek look that i that i like in this game in particular i think it's a good evolution of, of um what the um, the hd remakes of halo comedy vault looks like yeah it, it, i can it, see that sleek design and also what, what many said about the vehicle missions that's one of the things i noted as well but maybe an odd question do you try to think forwards or backwards what do you mean well if, do you go um if you're in scorpion thing do you drive forward with the gunner in front of you or do you drive backwards that the third is more up front than normal I, uh forward, forward i guess i've never yeah. driven anything different than that okay then I'm the only idiot. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've I didn't, I've never never tried that. Uh, then the then the steering is even worse. But the oh, main God. advantage is that your turret can go lower and your turret is more upfront than normal because when you drive the tank normally, you have the entire front section exposed before you can fire. Instead of if you drive backwards, you can shoot a bit uh, earlier than um, than if you drive normally. Yeah, I've never um, never thought about that, but I might I might try that next time. Now that you mentioned that, please don't do it in this one. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I, I, the <laughs> driving in this game is terrible. Yeah, it's really it's, bad. Like they're so inconsistent with the handling. Like I think Reach is the best all the vehicles handle pretty much, but they got worse in four and five. They got like they're it's obviously bad in the first one just because that game is unrefined in that regard. But like they got better in two and three, and they were great in Reach, and they've just gotten worse. Like I don't get it. And the amount of things that can stop you from driving. I mean, in Forza, you can mull down entire trees from driving 15 in a mini. And yeah. there you have a scorpion tank from I don't know how, how uh, heavy it is. And just one little tree stump that you can basically <laughs> drive over, stop you from going anywhere further. I'm like, come on. That's really annoying. But other than that, I, I mean, the, I think the design of all the vehicles are amazing. And mm -hmm. the, the sound design of the weapons, the vehicles, and especially the, like the small explosions you get of the ghost when you do the speed boost. Yeah, I loved it really much compared to the uh, to the other games. Yeah, yeah, Halo's always had great sound design, and I feel it here. And if we want to talk about the score a little bit in terms of sound, I think we all really love the score of this game, right? The score is yeah. so good. It, it, like massive call. Like we talk about, like oh, we haven't heard the Halo theme in so long. We haven't heard the Halo theme in so long. I didn't know how much I missed that theme in a game until I started just like mowing down people and hearing the da 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 da. I'm like, oh, oh, it feels so yeah. good. Like, we talk about like all the issues and stuff that we have, but we also talk about how this game takes a lot from Halo 1, specifically like that mission that we're talking about yep. and the look and odd stuff. And I feel like as much as it takes from that game, it evolves and like it does its own thing and i feel like the score does the same thing where it is taking those motifs and that theme and all other stuff but it is sort of changing it and in a way that i think really works for the story for some reason i hate this when people say this but i really feel it in this game is like it does feel like a good mix of old and new it feels like a lot of the stuff that they've added since like three is here is present in here whether it's the armor abilities or some of the weapons and it feels like they've cut out the stuff that wasn't good in the last few games in terms of gameplay wise and they've refined it to like the classics from the original games and the best parts of the new games and it's just the weapons and everything in the vehicles that they actually kept in this game are really good for the most part and i was worried because i actually thought in the multiplayer 
that the weapon suite was kind of limited and i thought they would actually have more weapons in the campaign which they don't uh but i think everything really serves a purpose and some of the like all the all the old games have weapons that just suck and you never use them and i feel like every weapon in this game is usable in some in some way except for that fucking plasma pistol <laughs> no, I can still I can still take down shields with that plasma pistol. Even I know. Though, I use even though fighting the brutes, it's actually not worth it for the for the most part because you can just shoot them in the helmet a couple times and then shoot them in the head. Yeah, that plasma pistol I only used when I didn't have any more ammo and anything. That was my last resort gun was that plasma pistol. And I know you know do the noob combo, charge it up and then yeah. shoot and then you know fire after that. I know about that. I don't Playing have on the higher difficulties. The noob combo is a must. Yeah, I'm like no, I'm good. I. I I just want to, you know, shoot stuff and, but back to like the score, I really do like the score in this game. I can easily see myself just chilling, listening to this score while doing homework or editing or something like that. Yeah. I bought the, you you sent a link in our discord about the vinyl that was going on sale for pre-order and I bought it before playing the game and I was worried like, uh, what if this is like the Halo 5 score, which I don't really enjoy, but top to bottom like even even like even halo 3 has tracks that i don't really care for just because they're kind of ambient so i don't really want to listen to them but this score like doesn't miss pretty much at all like everything i feel like i can listen to whether i'm driving or whether i'm doing work or whatever and it'll pump me up Uh, i haven't listened to the soundtrack just yet because i wasn't sure it was spoiling anything like in star wars one but i mean the original three scores are just amazing i've listened to it from way too many years already and every time with a new generation of you know uh, media uh, cd and then uh, an mp3 player and then an ipod and then streaming i just keep listening to it and, and that really makes halo uh, without the music i think maybe the opinions about halo were a bit less than what they are now yep i'm i'm with you there and i feel like that is one of the reasons why four and five aren't as highly regarded is that i think four does have a good score for the most part but the music just doesn't hit in the same way i don't know if it's that they're missing all the classic themes or what but it's just not the same and i feel like this is a good return to form in that regard i think they had three people on it but i think gareth coker who did the ori scores did most of the work and he's maybe one of the best video video game composers that we have today he's great every time i hear one of the scores yeah looking at the score right now on um on spotify what i see is uh nothing's really spoiled maybe the only thing spoiled is pelican down but that's just you know the name of the mission and sort of like where we find uh fernando but other than that the score titles and all that stuff they don't seem to be spoilery another film that has spoilery uh score names i'm so i hear is uh the spider-man movie that's coming out soon okay Uh, i hear that that score has spoiler titles as well so i've stayed away from it even though what is there to spoil with that movie but uh (laughs) the halo one seems to be all good in the hood yeah, most of these, it seems like they're either, like, situational or they're, like, dialogue references, which, out of context, I don't think tell you much. No, they don't. And, like, we talk about the score, and the score at the very end of the game really worked. Because, like, you go, yeah. like, you've had this resolution with Cortana, with uh, the Harbinger, you sort of now know, you don't know, like, why they want to be on Zeta Halo, but you know why Cortana was on Zeta and why you're called there, and why the beginning of the game, you know, you hear Chief say, there's yeah. something here, and you get that resolution, and then you start sort of setting up, you know, where the rest of the game is going to go with 
Fernando, the weapon in chief, and that score starts to come in a little bit. And that last line where the weapon asks Chief it's if it's okay to name herself, and she's like, I have the perfect name. And then you start hearing the da 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 da, and they j- fly off. And no, it's actually it's it's different. It's the last Spartan music from Halo Two. Oh, well then it's that. It's not it's not the theme. Yeah, it's that that plays, and then like you cut yeah. to the Halo Infinite, and then the theme starts playing for that. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah. I just think the score was used really well in this game. Yeah, like, like there's plenty of games with good scores, but bad games. Um, I think Fallout 76 has a good score. I don't really like. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it's Fallout 76. You know, okay. you know what yep. it is. Yep. Um, but I think like this game, like everything that I've that I saw, that I played, that I felt, that I listened to, I felt like all of it was really good. It really, and I know we, I mentioned this movie earlier, in pretty much every way, this feels like A Force Awakens to me, in that it the the series had kind of strayed off the, uh, strayed from God's light for a little while, if you will, and it was being advertised as a return to form with a lot of the aesthetic stuff that you remember, and a lot of the nostalgic stuff that you wanted, and it's not perfect, like people wanted it to be necessarily, but it's really good, and you feel confident about this series going in the right direction for the first time in a while this really feels like a force awakens in that in that sense to me and i was happy with force awakens even though i never thought it was perfect and i'm kind of the same here i'm really curious to see what they'll do with the next couple of games i mean if this is like an indication of what they're planning on uh, i'm really excited and i can't wait and i'll probably have to buy an xbox series x sooner rather than later if you're, if you're someone who really cares about how, how, how your games run and playing them that, as optimally as you can, I think Series X is, like, a must-buy. If you can, if you got the money and if you can find it in stock somewhere, like, definitely get it. The last thing that I'll say regarding this in particular was um, the audio logs. We talked about them a little bit be- at the beginning. I liked them. There was one in particular where someone says, like, oh, you got off Reach. And I'm like, ah! they referenced Reach. <gasps> they said Reach. They said Reach. Um, yeah, they brought they brought up um, there there were some logs from Lasky in the game, and they brought yeah, up did. Blue Team and Spartan Lock at certain points. I wonder if some of the story DLC will be to explain what happened with all them because there is no way they just killed all those people off. No way. Yeah, and then the other thing that people were asking for that they did acknowledge in the game was the flood, like they acknowledged. Uh, them. I was quite sure we were going to encounter. That I at thought some we point. were too. And I thought I thought yeah. like towards the end of the game we were going to come across the flood. We didn't, but. Um, like where we're where we're teleported at the end of the game looks like a different part of the halo ring so i am wondering if maybe there will be flood on that side because everyone's been asking for the flood we're like where is it where is it give it to us and well they've set up the endless as a threat far worse than the flood so i feel like then i don't think they're going to give us the flood i think they're just going to focus on the endless for this next game or dlc whatever it ends up being yeah and I'm okay with that. I have I've had my fill of the flood. I never hated them as much as everyone else did, but I've I had my fill. I can I'd rather fight new stuff. I've thanked my fill. Thank you, Phil Spencer. Yeah, yes, Phil. Oh, there was one more thing I wanted to mention, and um I was curious what you guys thought of this. The cinematic style of this game is much like uh, The Phantom Pain, where the cutscenes are all one take, and pretty much the entire game is just one take because it transitions you seamlessly from from first person view to the to your cutscenes, and the camera is always one take, and it just moves around your cutscene. And I really like that cinematic style in this game because this game is supposed to be one continuous experience from start to end as you're navigating through the world to get to your next mission and stuff like that. And I think that works really, really well in this game. 
better than it worked in uh, Metal Gear Solid 5 because I feel like that game just did it to be showy but this game just did it to be like this is one continuous experience that you're having on this ring and this is what that experience is and I really dug it feels like that as well because the pilot says uh I think off the pelican down how many hours do I know it, you know yeah, like yeah it's like seven, seven hours so it's yeah. like it's like the whole game is pretty much taking place in real time and yeah. it doesn't it doesn't like doesn't try and tell you that more time has passed than it than it has it's just like yeah you've been here for like seven to twelve hours by the end of it and then they do like a three-day time jump at the very end you you lived this one day in chief's life and i feel like that was really effective as a storytelling device even if it's just only for this game i mean and the, and the, the cutscenes they work and they're they're good looking halo has never been a game that has been you know the best in graphics there's mm -hmm. only one cutscene that is really weird and it's when the bridge closes then it goes from chief to under the bridge to show and it's really a bridge now that it's folded all out and then it goes back and like what that's the only weird one and other than that all the cutscenes work for me yeah i don't i don't remember that one in particular but yeah like the whole game just looks great to me yeah and i think like you know everyone's saying like oh it doesn't it's not as good looking as all this other stuff and i'm like it's a style like halo like you talk about, Halo's never been the cutting edge for graphics, but it's always had a distinct style. And after, yeah. you know, the blowback from 4 and 5 with the look that they've had there, I think that this was, we keep talking about it, a return to form. I think that this was a nice return to form of making it look simple, making everything recognizable, um, but still making it good looking. And there are things that do look closer to like five with like in my opinion like the forerunners or like the harbinger and that stuff looks a little bit closer to five but it's not as overdone as it is in four and five yeah. it's definitely yeah, definitely pulled not. back it's simpler you know people would say the showcase last year was too simple um i think that this is a good art style good art direction for the game um, everything was recognizable. Yeah. All the enemies were very clear to know. The weapons were surprisingly very clear. Like, I could look at something and be like, all right, there's that good. And that was really mm -hmm. good to know. Um, so, yeah, I think they did a good job overall. Overall, I'd recommend it. Um, I, I was a little lost because I'm not, you know, huge into Halo, but I was able to, you know, piece enough of the basics to be like, this follows that, follows that, follows that, follows that to where we're here now. So I think like the only complaint that I'd have is that if you're not super lore heavy, you probably won't get everything. But I think there's enough for you to understand, in my opinion, the focus of the story is not the banished. The focus of the story no. is Chief Weapon Cortana and finding out that yep. mystery. And that stuff, I think, is very understandable. You can, because that stuff happens off screen, I feel like they make sure that they explain what happened off screen by the end of the game and you feel like you're with it. Uh, I think uh, well, one of my final thoughts is that the talking jackals were way dumber than the grunts were in this game. With uh, with what I said, oh, shield is gone, can't fight, so run, run. Uh, <laughs> I think, and other than that, I think Jen Taylor with doing the weapon, Cortana and Halsey is just MVP with how she did oh, all yeah. the three voices and brought a real heart into this game, uh, especially with the connection to Chief, so showing much more emotions than uh, he has done in uh, previous games. Yeah, I did. That was one thing I forgot to mention that I'll mention now then is um, I really love her performance as the weapon because at first she's really childlike and you have to like she has to piece everything together. She doesn't know what the banished are or really anything. She just knows the one purpose that she was deployed for and that's it. And she's very childlike and it feels like 
a game like a Halo Zero game where you would have seen Chief Mina Cortana for the first time that you didn't get, and this is what that would have been. And I like I love how she grows into her own by the end of the game. I think it's great writing and a great performance on her part to guide you through from how kind of childlike she is at the beginning and with into what she becomes at the end. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. I think Jen Taylor did a great job. Like the game awards don't matter. Um, but I think that she should be awarded <laughs> for this. I think that this just goes to show how much voice, voice acting, voice performance, uh, motion capture, all those things should be considered when, you know, talking about performances, not just, um, like, oh, who was the best live action actor? Because voice actors and game performers or, you know, all these other people, they do so much to actually bring these characters to life because you can't see them. So a voice has to carry so much of the weight when animation sometimes doesn't. And I think that this is a great example of just a knockout performance. I mean, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone. Jen Taylor has always been good as Cortana mm -hmm. and Halsey and now the weapon. Like, they're all so different from each other. But she did a great job in the game. Yeah, and props to Steve Downs, too. Steve because Downs, he, yep. Yeah, he's he's great just doing all his badass lines as Master Chief, but he's great when he needs to be vulnerable. I think, you know, and that's that's down to the writing, too, of when they write him to say stuff and when they write him to be silent. I think in this game in particular, it's really effective because most of the game he's hiding something. And I think you get a good indication of that. And I think when it's time for him to actually reveal some stuff, I think Steve Downs does does a great job. Definitely. And I mean, there's a reason why they invited uh, Jen Taylor to do Cortana in the Halo series, which wasn't yep. originally the plan. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about the Halo TV series. It looks like a streaming series that in 2022 that's going to be Halo. That's what I can say. There you go. I don't know if it'll be good. I'll watch it. It'll probably be mediocre, but I'm curious. Yeah. I watched that uh, Halo series with Locke that was not good. I never saw that. Um, I watched the little mini series Forward Unto Dawn with Lasky, and I thought that was okay. Yeah. We'll, yep. we'll see. We'll probably report back next, next 2022, year, 2022, baby. when the Halo series comes out. Other than that, I think we've said everything that we wanted to say about Halo, right? I think so. I'm sure there's a hundred things that I'll think of after we stop recording that I'll remember and I'll be mad, but that's just yeah. what happens when you do a podcast. All right, yeah. Ramon, first off, thank you for being here with us. We know that it's yeah, a you. little bit later where you are, so thank you. I mean, by a little bit, it's late over where you are, but thank you for being here with us. No problem at all. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, it's nearly 11, but I'm usually awake at this time. Anyway. Yeah. Is yeah. there anything that you would like to shout out? Any, you know, like, do you have a website with your portfolio of photos that people can go uh, see? Green 14 Aviation and Green 14 Nautical. That's about it. All right, there you go. Go give Ramon, go give Ramon a follow. He has great photos. He's a great person. We love having you on here. Nick, yep. shout your stuff out. Okay, so you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Reeves underscore 117, and you can also find me on Twitch. I'm doing, uh, trying to do like one stream every weekend or so when I can, uh, so that's Infinic 117 um, I'll probably be doing a, my second playthrough of this campaign soon, and I'll probably be doing it on there, so if you want to watch that, tune in live or watch the playback. I think tw Twitch have videos up for two weeks after uh, you upload You can do them? it up to six months. Okay, you, so I might, I might have to change that. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, I'm on Twitch now, and I'll pro I, I try to do it like one stream a week if I can. Yep. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, StarWarsNerd9. You can go uh, follow my letterbox, which is just, I think, Emmanuel Fuentes, all one word. You can follow me, Infinite Manny, I think one, 
on Twitch. Sometimes I stream stuff. Sometimes I don't. Really, just depends on what I'm doing. I'm not consistent over yeah, there, and here. I won't be consistent. Um, because me I have, either, but I'm trying to be. Yeah, because I have other priorities. Um, I guess I'll shout this out as well. Um, I was the social media manager for my college's film department, and so there's a video that I edited and I shot with a couple of my students. Um, over on that channel. So if you go to UTV Studios um, on YouTube, you can find it there. Um, I edited that video. It was great. Next semester, I will not be, you know, handling any of that. I'm going to be focusing on editing my final film for college with um, with my group so I can graduate in December. But that's what's what will be happening there. Please go check that out. It was a great semester and they do a lot of cool stuff over there. Other than that, Watch Hawkeye, watch, play Halo. <laughs> Happy birthday, Haley Steinfeld. That's all I have to say. <laughs> all right. Have a good one, everybody. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>